Hello, and welcome to another episode of Over Drinkers, the podcast where you listen to a couple people get drunk and talk about a movie that hopefully you've seen, because we're going to spoil everything right off the bat here. And today we got a movie that everybody has seen. Oh. Oh, hey there. Hey. Oh, hi. Hi. Sorry, what's, go, going, go what's going on? What's going on? Go on, no, 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 go on, please. Oh, yeah, no, no, I was just introducing the show. I'm going to, like, set the rules and stuff like that, and then we'll... Okay, sorry. Okay, great. Uh, so, you you cool? I try to live um, in a system without rules, so go ahead. Quarter mile at a time? Yeah. Right. Uh, so, I'm Mike Burge. I'm the host of the show. Nobody else hosts the show but me. It me. I'm the voice. So, when you hear this voice, that's me. And today, I am joined by another voice that you're about to hear in a second. So, when you hear that voice, you will know that that is, in fact... Jack Kolodzewski. Welcome, Jack. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, this is a podcast that we have been trying to get going for quite a while. Yep. Uh, this episode here, uh, we, uh, we're we covering uh, one basic movie, but we're also covering the franchise that it uh, that it spawned and talking about some of like, the really, really neat stuff in there. Uh, today, we are talking about The Matrix. The Matrix. 1999, uh, directed by the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. At the time, known as the Wachowski brothers. Now mm-hmm. they are just the Wachowskis. Don't call them the Wachowski siblings. That's weird. Just call them the Wachowskis. You can just be cool about it. Um, and we're also going to be talking about The Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolutions, and The Animatrix. Uh, I think that's it. Matrix uh, Path of Neo. Matrix Path of uh, Neo. Enter the Matrix. Enter the Matrix. The, the, Matrix. The, the groundbreaking video game that everybody played in love. I played it three or four times. Uh, so that's how you know I don't fuck around. Uh, well, I, I could pretend I wasn't being sarcastic. Um, the Matrix Online. Uh huh. Um, that's all I got. I, that's probably all there is. That's probably all there is about that. If if we missed anything, please uh, hit us up and uh, make fun of us for please, it, so that please. we can create a whole new episode just on that one thing that we missed. Um, we will. And before we get going, because. Uh, we tend to uh, forget about this because we're so excited to talk about the movie on Overdrinkers. We are drinking a themed alcoholic beverage um, with the movie. And today we are each given a six pack of beer, having three Paps Blue Ribbons and three Red Stripes. And every time we're moving on to another drink, we are either going to choose the Red Pill, which is Enlightenment, or the Blue Pill, which is Ignorance. And hopefully that will affect how we decide to uh, carry on the conversation for the remaining beer. And so starting off, we we both have some paps, blue ribbons, yep. some blue pills. Cheers. Ignorance mm-hmm. is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. It's refreshing. It's not bad. It's not bad. It just goes down nice and smooth. It's yeah. beer water. Yep. It's good. So, as, as always on Over Drinkers, because I will be talking a lot throughout this, Yes. Because I have a lot to say, but I also want to learn okay, and understand. So I will pass it off to you, kicking it off, Jack. What is your ignorant view on the Matrix? <clears throat> Interesting. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah I get it. Uh, okay. So the Matrix. I, I was obsessed with the Matrix as a kid. I, the Matrix was my jam all the way. And that was born more or less because it came out 1999. I was only like eight probably at the time it came out. I was born in 91, but in November, so kind of late. Um, but I didn't get to see it until a couple of years later when my parents deemed I was like 
old enough to see it, but I was probably like 12 or 13 when I saw it for the first time. So what is rated R? For me, right? yeah, let's yeah. check off the boxes here. I'm a 12 year old Jack. It's an R-rated movie, so I'm psyched on that. Um, my parents told me, and this is key. My parents told me they didn't get it. So when you tell a 12 year old boy that as a parent you didn't get something, that instantly becomes that 12 year old boy's favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about you know kind of rebelling against his system, which is also, good stuff when mm-hmm. you're a 12-year-old boy. Raging against the machine, Raging so Raging against speak. the machine, exactly. Um, so, it came for me at, at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, was an entryway for me to, you know, become the, the little punk 12-year-old weirdo that I was at the time. Were you as into uh, science and hacking uh, then as you are now? Um, you know, uh, science, yes. Um, hacking... No, no. I mean, you're not the predominant hacker of the story screen no, family. That no, right that's is not really heavily reserved for Robert Anderson. Yeah, he is. Uh, yeah. He has 15 laptops in his room. Yeah. Constantly running different things on them, moving back and forth. I've He's able him, to do some stuff that just really blows my mind. I've seen him type on three to four keyboards at the same time. Yep. Um, he has a lot of terms that we don't know what the, they mean. Yeah, we make him kind of keep that down. He's sort Because we don't want to make our listenership feel like stupid because they don't understand what an right. avocado is. Right. He's sort of like our own personal Jesus. Well, yeah, there is a faith that you can definitely reach out and touch with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a, that was an, a reference. Yeah, that was a bit. Yeah. I yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, so I, I like The Matrix a lot. I grew up with it. Um, I went to see both the sequels in the theaters when they came out. Um, and uh, at the time was obsessed enough with The Matrix that um, I, I embraced them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even The Matrix Revolutions was a little... Down, that was a downer. Yeah. Kind of. But we'll get there. Let's get there. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I was going to follow up at the end of that before I spoke about the first one. Uh, Which is your favorite one? I mean, The the Matrix is my favorite one. The Matrix is by far the best movie. I am somewhat of a Matrix-reloaded apologist. I think there's some interesting stuff going on in that movie. Um, But I mean, like, let's not get around. The the Matrix is my favorite. Um, But if I had to rank them, I would probably put the Animatrix next. After the Matrix, cool, yeah, 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 and I like I I feel the same way. Uh, the first Matrix is just by all accounts what it's talking about, how it looks, how it impacted not just you know like big Hollywood and film culture, how it just affected pop culture in yeah, general absolutely. is like a big deal, and like you have to take that into account. It's like something when you're talking about like Star Wars. You you have to understand, you're like, this changed everything, not just on, like, a professional industry level. Like, this was a phenomenon that, like, even people who haven't ever seen a Star Wars movie, they know what Star Wars is. They know what the lightsaber is. Right. You know, and this is, like, The Matrix. Have even, you seen slow motion before? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And it's, have you, like, this introduced, like, you know, like, the Hong Kong martial arts new wave in the late 90s, where, like, all of a sudden, like, the bing bang boom of this and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, I think, yeah, really definitely. brought like Hong Kong style uh, cinematic martial arts into the foray where eventually like in fast cuts and everything, this was, this is the precursor to the born yeah. uh, type of uh, like uh, a handy cam 
just like getting in there and just like going really quick around and fast cuts to like build tension and everything. Like it did all that. It's a super heady movie that's actually talking about a lot of really interesting things, which we'll get to when we're on the red pill. Yeah. Going back to my parents telling me they didn't get it. Right. For me, it was just like, well, now I love this. Mm-hmm. Regardless. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad, you just don't get it. You just don't get me. You don't get me. Um, you don't get the Matrix. Oh, sorry. I just noticed you have Blade Runner 2049 over there on Blu-ray. Really good. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah, so do I. It's really yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. I love it. That'd be a More really, come on that'd that be one, a really huh? fun uh, Blu-ray to own, wouldn't it? It sure is. Jeez. We should hmm. do like some kind of thing like to mm. give some listeners like a couple copies of, of those that we were able to acquire. Hmm. Yeah, we'll think about it. It's not it. a bad idea. Um, Matrix, definitely my favorite one because of all of those fun things. Uh I agree with you that Reloaded gets a bad rap. And I also think that Revolutions gets a bad rap. I think that the two of those movies, where The Matrix sits as itself and you can watch it beginning to end and it's its own story. Yeah. And you and try as you might, you might not be able to, but it is possible to just separate that film from the rest of the trilogy and go, this is what they intended to do. They always intended to do more stories like if they were able to. But none of it was really mapped out. It's kind of like, you know, George Lucas with the prequels. Like, he never knew what they were going to be. He just started them at episode four. So it was like, "Mm, yeah, I mean, I guess we could do more if we wanted to. But, you know. Yeah, that's Sorry, did Kermit the Frog direct uh, I'm sorry, have you heard George Lucas? He sounds like Kermit the Frog. I guess so. I think Frank Oz based Kermit the Frog off of George (laughs) Lucas. There's a fun fact. Hello, everybody. Um... I uh, love the Animatrix. I actually watched it finally for the first time all together. I'd seen a few of them. What is it? Nine? Nine. Nine? Yeah. I'd probably seen three or four. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. Before, so about seen... a year ago when we started planning this podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, really like the Animatrix. I would I would put it like the Matrix, um, the Matrix Reloaded, Animatrix, <clears throat> the Matrix Revolutions. And okay. I, and that's me just like, that's just how I would choose to watch them like, oh, The Matrix isn't available, but the other three are. What would you watch? Reloaded. Well, Reloaded's also not available. Just the other two. What would you watch? Like, that's <laughs> that's how I'm... I know that that's the basis of how much you like a movie, but it's like yeah, rewatchability. Sure. I feel like The Matrix Revolutions and The Matrix Reloaded are very equal in um, just like how good the content is. Like I think Reloaded is a little bit more exciting and a little bit more straightforward and has some headier themes that are a lot more fun to play around yeah, with. I, I, I appreciate <clears> – <throat> sorry, I'm really dealing with this cold here. No, that's okay. <clears throat> I appreciate the Matrix Reloaded 4, <clears throat> how it sort of took the philosophies that were introduced in the, in the Matrix and ran with them. Yeah. And they really like – laid it on thick with the philosophy with that movie. And I think that's what turned a lot of people off. I mean, like, you go to the scene with the architect and it's just like, ergo, and, mm-hmm. you know. Well, he's that, talking like what a what a computer would think yes. a smart person no, talks like. Course. They would use vocabulary <clears throat> from everywhere to try and explain themselves of, while you're just sitting there like, Will Ferrell is going to make fun of Yeah, of this. course, of course. But, uh, yeah, that's what I mean. As as the audience here, I could, you know, people are turned off by something like that, even though that's intentional. But <clears throat> I like how it digs into that kind of philosophy. Um, especially once you've already introduced Neo as this character who is the one who is, you know, ostensibly <clears throat> Superman now. You have to play around with kind of the fringes around just like fighting agents and stuff like that. So I like how they they 
drilled down and that sort of stuff. But that's also probably getting ahead. Yeah, no, no. I, I mean, one of the big things, like trying to stick to like you know the the blue pill idea of just kind of dealing with like the 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 stuff that we can that we can see and touch like the action and like mm-hmm. all of that stuff and then we'll save the headier stuff for the for the red pill for the red stripes God, you know fuck the internet for taking the red pill away from us really they took the red pill away yeah because now the red red pill is like like there's some forums online that are like the red pill but they're like fucking those alt-right weirdos oh yeah no they yeah. don't need any of this yeah, stuff. No. i thought you were talking about the transgender no i just want to uh, divorce... thing which is like now we know is like oh that's definitely a that's thing definitely that's what, what it, when i first heard it uh a few years back it was like oh yeah i guess like that could be interesting and then you see the way both the wachowskis went and you're like oh yeah, that was probably most definitely intentional, yeah. whether it was subconscious or conscious they're, on their part. They're trapped within a, a system, mm-hmm. a machine that they are unaware of consciously until they... And they have to rage against take it. Take the pet pill and... Yes, like, yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, It's very t- interesting, and we won't really get into that because I think that there are far more... Uh, better people to write about that and they have and you can find articles online you pretty much just write you know like transgender analysis the matrix into google which is a website that you can go to www.google.com right but the the interesting thing is i think how even considering like kind of the politics that i feel icky about um red pill wise like you can see the different like it speaks to the ubiquity of the matrix as a pop culture phenomenon and how so many different facets of culture have co-opted like some of these ideas and, totally and use the themes there to like project you know mm-hmm. so well yeah it's easier to be able to convince somebody utilizing something that is world-renowned and known and liked than it is to present your own ideas and try and convince somebody of what your ideology is you can just be like mm, it's kind of like um like the force um where you can, you know, like move things, and uh, there's like a, an energy. Yeah. But the first matrix, which is going to be really what we're trying to talk about in this episode to try and keep it concise, will kind of go off on tangents, <clears throat> but hopefully those tangents will be limited to the movies in the series or maybe even just films that are in the Wachowskis' uh, filmography, <laughs> um, which... Up and down, goes around, back and forth, side to side. Yeah, there's um, some turbulence there. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big defender of Speed Racer. Okay. Because it is just like a goofball movie. Never seen it. And actually. it's supposed to be. So it's, uh, and you get a great performance out of John Goodman and Emil Hirsch um, and uh, Wednesday Adams. So, Teen Heartthrob, Wednesday Adams. Uh, so let's, uh, we got a little bit more on our blue pill here. Let's, let's, Let's talk about the action in the Matrix, yeah, right? Like, let's let's get we we got some set pieces in there, lot yeah, lot of lot of lot of pew pews, a lot of pow pows, a lot of lot of punchies and kickies. Uh, they brought in the dude uh, who I can't remember his name right off the top of my head, but he was the same choreographer from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah. Uh, he's a legend. He came on in and like trained with all these guys for months. All the actors, the actual actors, so that they could get in close. And tight and not have body doubles. Right. I mean, that was a big part of, of the Matrix and the sequels as well as those, all the, the um, actors and actresses did a lot of their own stunts. I think um, Carrie Ann Moss got really hurt during the filming of The Matrix Reloaded, if I remember correctly. Yeah, she got hurt during Reloaded. And uh, one of the things that's fun about the first one is that uh, Hugo Weaving 
had some had like had to get an operation on his hip. The guy, uh, Agent yeah. Smith, had to get uh, an operation on his hip, and Keanu Reeves had like a neck problem. Yuan so, Wu Ping is the choreographer. Oh, great, perfect. Thank yeah. you for looking that up. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but all of the fight scenes. So the Matrix is pretty much this kind of idea where we're we're given two worlds where we're we're in the real world so to speak um that is like post-apocalyptic robots use people for energy and in order to maximize the amount of energy they can get out of them they put them in pods and have like put them plug them into this simulated world of like the the late 90s at the end of the 20th century which they call the peak of uh, human, civilization human civilization because shortly after this they invented AI there was a big war that went on where the animatrix goes into that more but we'll talk about that yeah we'll get we'll that's get to a, that that's a red pill kind of thing yeah 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 and so they um in, so in this in this simulated matrix it's essentially a video game and they are dealing with their avatars and their avatars can look the way that they want them to look as far as like hair well not no color not really because it's not consciously it's not how they want them to look like when they first it's like the digital projection of projection their of their self yeah of how they see themselves yeah but that's like the hair can be different the hair they back. can wear whatever they want they yes. can pretty much bring whatever they want into the matrix too because we have that scene where they get guns and stuff like that so it's pretty much like this idea that and that's where you can kind of start finding like not necessarily plot I need, holes. I just need like, guns. Yeah. Lots like, of guns. Yeah. They're like, well, if you could bring anything into there, like, why wouldn't you, like, create, like, a dragon? Um, no, because it still has to operate within the rules of the simulation. True. That they, okay. And I would wager that dragons were not built into the rules of the simulation that the machines established. So, like, within the simulation, you know, it's like, okay. I if guess that's wanna, true because they don't use any technology. Like the agents don't use lasers, right, which so we know that we in fact did have as human beings. Think of it this way, right? If you're playing a video, if you want to use the video game analogy, you're using a video game like uh, Counter Strike, right? You can, if you're, you know, hacking that game, you can spawn in whatever guns that you want to, just by like, you know, what a console is in a video game, like you not not like. A console command on like a PC mm-hmm. where you hit the console and you can type in like it brings up like the code a little bit and you can mm-hmm. bring up like oh uh, spawn in like a sniper rifle right mm-hmm. but you can't hit spawn in a dragon because that's there's no it's dragon written like, into the written code into the game nice right. okay yeah totally yeah so uh, there you go so so it acts as a video game where essentially our characters are performing tasks as avatars only if they die. In the game, right. they die in real life. The body cannot survive without the mind. Exactly. And <clears throat> so what we're given are everybody's pretty much downloaded with jujitsu, kung fu, right. uh, taekwondo. Helicopter uh, pilot. Uh, what is, uh, drunken boxing, too, is yep. like one that they <laughs> list on there where I'm like, I guess you could use that. Sure. It's kind of like accidental, like, whoop. I mean, the fluidity of drunken boxing makes your moves difficult to predict. Drunken boxing is also very good, too, for uh, reactionary, where, like, mm-hmm. you've been kind of taken down, but it's very quick to get back into the fight. Sure. So, and we get that a lot, like, with the, when Morpheus faces off with Agent Smith, uh, he's got a lot of uh, drunken boxing moves in there because he's getting his ass handed to him. Right. And he keeps kind of just coming back, and Lawrence Fishburne has, like, all those great sounds he makes. He's like, hoo, ha! it's great it's good stuff um but that's kind of the cool thing about the majority of the matrix itself the first movie is they are 
they can bend these rules. They can kind of the rules that are established by the simulation are flexible, but they can't break them. Yeah. So <laughs> they can jump really far. They can move really fast, but still they're kind of at the limits of the rules of the simulation. And the entire idea is that Morpheus has found someone who he believes is prophesized as the one mm-hmm. who is the one person that can break the rules of the matrix and move faster than even the simulation, the the enforcers, the um, the agents of the matrix. Which are like a security program. A security program basically that are designed. All of this is about control, right? So the, the machines are using humans that were born into the matrix as energy sources. Mm-hmm. So the idea is this system is just to control the human population, keep them happy, keep them sedated so that they can serve as energy for the machines. And there's a subset of the resistance that is broken out of the matrix um, and is aware, is, is conscious of that the simulation exists and they, they live in the real world, but they're able to jack back into the matrix to save other humans. But the entire idea is that the human race is still enslaved by the machines to use as energy. Mm-hmm. So Neo is the prophesized one that can break the rules of the matrix and can fight back to the machines and can free more humans. Um, so the, the action is cool because they're able to move very, very fast. And that's where we get the representation of slow motion. And then they can do flips and run up walls and do all kinds of neat stuff that became like, you know, kind of groundbreaking wise as far Total, as action, absolutely. Hollywood action movies go. You can argue like you don't you don't like the the heady themes of the movie or you don't like the the color palette or how it looks. You don't like the acting, blah blah blah. You can say whatever you want. At the end of the day you have to admit this thing It's changed. cool. It's just badass. It's it's cool movie. It's cool. Like that's at the end of the day you can even say like it's just a cool movie and if you don't think it's cool, I hate to break it to you, you're not cool. Maybe because cool people know what's cool and the matrix is unapologetically cool it's cool i mean it's cool fashion it's cool um well cool fashion i I know i I was like i think for the time for the time like that shit like you know the trench coats and sunglasses kind of look cool Mm -hmm. in within the context they don't anymore at least within the context 15 year old kid shows up with a trench coat to school now it's not that he likes the matrix it's uh well that guy doesn't really like people that 15 year old thinks he's fucking cool. He thinks he's cool. He also thinks he knows more than everybody else. Yes, he does. Um, <clears throat> which or I does never, he? I never wore a leather trench coat, but I definitely was in the mindset of like all these fucking squares. Of yeah, shit you, 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 your, your leather um, trench coat was figurative. Yeah, my my leather trench coat was a minor threat T-shirt. So, mm-hmm. um, so, but it's it's it just has this vibe of like of cool to it. Mm-hmm. I would say. For that context of 1999, at least. And I think it still holds up as far as, like, the action goes. It still looks really good. I mean, I rewatched it on Blu-ray, and I think the movie looks sharp. It really... I watched it on Blu-ray, too, last night. Yeah. And it is, like, holy shit. Like, this is... This is, like, a very good-looking movie. And, and the, the, the clearer, like, the crystal clear image that you can get from Blu-ray and the sound is, like... This thing was made for like this way of watching it at home. Yeah. And it was before the technology even existed for Blu-ray. Like in 1999, DVDs were barely a thing. Like right. they were just <clears throat> kind of starting to emerge just like as special editions and stuff like that and didn't hit really big until like 2000, 2001. Um, but yeah, you want to uh, you want to break into some red pill yeah, stuff do, and get, get <clears throat> nice and uh, I actually have a topic that I want to propose here. Oh, is this a twisty as well? 
Uh, I don't think these are... No, these are not twisties. These are... uh, I'm going to have to help you out here. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, So the idea that I want to propose is is one that I took on when I rewatched this because... So, like I said, when I watched The Matrix for the first time as a kid, it had already been out for a couple of years. So, like, wasn't in theaters. I obviously missed any sort of, like, larger discussion going on, you know, on the internet at the time about The Matrix and stuff like that. And, like, the lead up to The Matrix Mm -hmm. specifically, like, the the marketing campaign. And I tried to go back and, like, rewatch some of the early trailers and stuff for this movie. But the mindset I went in... um, Got it. To watching this movie was, what if you didn't know anything about what this movie was about? And did they market this movie as, what is the Matrix? Or did they market this as like, this is a simulation, you're in a simulation? Because it's, so watching it for the first time, like not knowing what's going on and kind of like, having Neo as the audience surrogate of not knowing what's going on and kind of searching for his own truth, like going through the progression that Neo has is fucking wild. Yeah. Well, that's, I, I saw the movie in 1999 when it came out, I was 13 years old. And so I, and I was, this was like when I was about 11, that's when I started really getting into movies as like this thing that are like, it's more than just a thing to watch. Like you can think about them and talk about them. Right. And so the Matrix comes out, and it's like this pretty fucking like heady, uh, uh, like sci-fi action movie. And it was marketed that way, where it was like, "What is the Matrix?" It's one of the first questions the movie asks us. Right. And obviously, like in seeing trailers and promotional work, like they showed us most of the movie, and you see like there's people running up walls, dodging bullets, stopping midair, and kicking people. But they never explained, like, the context of the content. They were never like, you don't know what's going on here. I think they very heavily, too, kept out... um, The real world. The real world machines and stuff like that. And they were just like, this is a thing where you can do these things. They kind of kept out, like, the hacker mentality of, like, computers and stuff like that. They were pretty much just like, this is a full-blown action movie that you want to go see because they're blowing a bunch of stuff up and it's got Keanu Reeves in it. Okay, Go cool. check it out. Yeah. And the tagline was always, you know, like... Uh, the Matrix this, has you? It was a... No, it was a www.whatisthematrix.com. Cool. Was, like, their site and there would be a password and you could get different passwords from different things that would give you access to different pages of the site. Like, okay. if you stay till the end of The Matrix... Uh, the credits, uh, you get visit what is the matrix.com password steak, like the meat, okay. and which you don't eat. And, um, well, if I was if in the you, matrix, I would because it's right, not real, because it's not real. Yeah. But what if it's not real at all? Any of it for as, <sighs> for as far as I know, it is though. So I'm gonna mm, not eat ignorance those is bliss, yeah. yeah. But we're on heady, we're on heady, uh, right. red stripes right now, yeah. Um, so it's and if you put in stake, you have access to the entire site. Okay. And so before that promotional material was put out there where it was just like in the form of passwords that you could get like on the inside of Doritos bags or underneath a Mountain Dew okay. like cap. They were doing yeah. stuff like that. Hacker's, Not specifically. Hacker's stuff like favorite fuel. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so going in, you watch it and you don't know what the Matrix is. So for the first third of the movie, as Neo 
Thomas Anderson is attempting to figure out what he is. Like, it just seems like your stereotypical hacker movie. Where's a guy who's a hacker who's been hunting down this guy named Morpheus. All of a sudden, he gets tracked down by this girl named Trinity, who's also a very well-known hacker, who says they're on to you. And we think the man. Because we've seen agents go after Trinity. And for some reason, she can fight really good and they can jump really far. And we don't really know what's going on there. And we're like, oh, do they have some form of like superpower? what's going on and, right. and by the time they catch it's not until though. yeah you get the the mirror scene with morpheus well, with the red pill and I mean, blue pill i mean before that you've got the scene where the the agents capture neo and mm. and they take away his mouth you're right yep and then that is one of the most horrifying things ever and i know it might sound like well yeah no shit everybody knows that that whole scene I remember the first time I saw that when I was 13 years old, yeah. when he first looks up and it's like, he's trying to open his mouth and it's like, like, you know, like it's the like way gum tearing. on a yeah. shoe yeah. comes yeah. off the street and you're just like, what the fuck? And Keanu Reeves' reaction to that as Neo, like, just like immediately standing up and like throwing the chair, like, hold on a fucking second. What's well, going that's, on here? That's my whole point is like, I really tried to watch this with... The mentality of fresh eyes of like not no, because now if you see the Matrix, it's so culturally ubiquitous that it's like you just understand everybody understands the Matrix com- computer simulation. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like at the time, I can imagine going to see it without knowing I, what that was. I remember it clearly, and every time that's what's kind of cool about the Matrix is that it's it's so patient and it takes its time it really getting does. there it that takes its you time can so well. if the first time you saw the matrix you didn't know what was going on like me you can transport your mindset back to that even though for me it was like over half my life ago right. i can still remember what it was like being a 13 year old kid hanging out with my friends at a movie theater watching this and being like what the fuck's going on yeah. and even when morpheus explains it with the red pill and the blue pill and choice and then the mirror, and then like you're in here, and then they go to the con- the constructed world where they can kind of talk about it, and he gives them the battery speech. And he just gives them like the, the exposition dump of like here's Where what if happens. you miss a single sentence, it's you're lost. Because yeah, they're just tight. like, we're going to give you everything that you need. And if you don't feel like paying attention, don't worry. In about five minutes, we're going to be shooting guns again, and you'll be happy. Well, and, and that scene is interesting too, because Morpheus just like dumps all of this on Everything. Neo. And then they It's a get, good exposition scene because get, we need to understand just as much as Neo but does. But then Neo gets out of the the um the little the simulation that they're in where Morpheus is dumping all this information on and he vomits. <laughs> he overloads him. I love it. I love uh he's Cypher. Pop. Cypher, yeah, he's got that great line and he's like, he's gonna pop and it's like, Cypher, quit being a fucking dick. Yeah, like we can asshole. see something's wrong. Just chill the fuck out. <laughs> and I always wondered like, is pop like do sometimes they wake people up? And they give them this dump and they think that they're ready, but they're not. And they just like their brain fries and they're just brain dead. I bet that And that's what he meant by pop. Because Morpheus even like pushes him out of the way. He's like, shut the fuck up. Like, let him just throw up and chill. I think he just means vomit. But yeah, it's possible. He's gonna pop. He's gonna pop. He's gonna... I I know that we're... I'll save it for the next blue because I really want to talk about Joe Pantagliano in this. Oh, we will. Uh, Oh, yes. Okay. So, um... Heady themes. Uh, the movie is in is is dealing with uh, mostly uh, these different ideas of philosophy yes. and pretty much perception and reality. Um, what it means to be real. What it means uh, for uh, your how you perceive the world to be real. What makes something real. What is the what is real. What is the matrix. 
Um, and so this kind of calls back to like, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with like different philosophy, um, different philosophers and like their ideas about like perception and reality. One of their, one of the Wachowskis have come out and said one of their biggest influences was, um, Hegel. Okay. Who is a German philosopher who pretty much dealt with the idea, uh, one of his many things, and all these philosophers that we're about to talk about have dealt with a bunch of things, but to be more precise, we're going to talk about specifically the things that they talked about that have to do with the matrix. And Heigl's big thing was, um, he always thought that, uh, like structures and organizations, institutions, were very important to the progression of mankind. And he always talked about, um, it's called, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, Heigl dialectics, okay. which is this kind of idea that an institution is the only thing that can make something work. When somebody wants to change something and make it the perfect version of what it can be, you're always going to have this back and forth where it's going to be, no, that's not good enough. No, that's way too much. No, that's not good enough again. No, that's way too much. And you're going to go back and forth uh, for a while until you finally land in just the right spot. Well, they discussed that very idea. In exactly. The yeah. And so like a really good example of that is uh, how like the Romans like um, – and this is like the best example that I could find. The Romans used to be very uh, kind of repressed in their sexuality. Okay. And they would build statues of like, you know, nude people. And that would be like, that's how you get your, your fixings and stuff like that. Don't talk about this stuff. And they, but secretly they would have orgies and yeah, all this stuff. I was going to say, that's not what I heard. Right, right, right. And it's, but, but like culturally, like where they were, they were very repressed. And then you position that many, many, many years later with like the Caligula. 1960s. Oh. No, no, even more. Like just like I move forward. Within like the Romans. No, no, no. And you go even further where like the 1960s and 70s were like this kind of free love thing, especially in America and all over the world. Like there was like this kind of, it was like, oh, maybe that's a little bit too much where it like, oh, a STDs now are fucking everywhere yeah, and we're Reagan. inventing new ones. Yeah. And now it's like the idea is that somewhere around like uh, 2025, 2035, we're going to kind of meet this middle ground because now philosophy and this idea of sexual repression and sexual like... uh revolution is being thought about a lot and being permeated in art and media that we're eventually going to meet this plateau where it's like it's not too little it's not too much that's just kind so of like an example is it like the pendulum swing and the pendulum slowly eventually loses momentum and stops because okay. as people on both sides of like the lesser and the more are not in context of like character but just more like how you're approaching the situation eventually just keep pushing it back a little bit more, a little bit more until it finally stops in the center. Yeah. Well, I would say people on both sides right now are really um, good at meeting each other in the middle and having um, dialogue. Um, and it seems, yeah, I'm sure well, 2025 yeah. is the year. where Well, we'll especially because now we have this yeah. entire system called the internet where we can interact with people from all over the world and we can discuss our ideas and understand one another, build compassion and everything. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, I get that. I think, um, your your guy Heigl here wasn't thinking about the internet too much. No, he did like not know about the internet. <laughs> the internet is, and that's interesting in the context of the, the discussion about the Matrix, because really, like this online system that we built here only seems to be pushing the pendulum to have more momentum than anything. Yeah, yeah, oh, and that's what can happen when you get uh, revolution is thrown into the wrong hands, and when when institutions take yeah, when institutions that. take their money and their power that's supposed to be used to 
uh, evolve culture and society and they start to use it to only evolve their own personal needs, such as advertising uh-huh. and stuff like that, you start getting into, well, like this is bias. Like you're the ones making money off of me, sell- off of me buying the thing that you're selling off of the thing that you're sure. advertising to me. So where exactly is the line drawn there where the thing that I am being told that I need I'm only being told that I need it by the people that produce it, that want people to buy it. Right. And it's this idea that the institutions have kind of turned their back on culture and society and are no longer interested in progressing our lives and making our lives better. They want to make money so that they can be more powerful, so that they can make more things to make us buy more of it so that they can get more powerful. And it's just a cycle from institutions. Those those – ideas are directly like influenced or not influenced but um represented in the matrix because human beings are literally the product and they are being their perception is being altered so that they can continue to be the product and i don't really know a lot of philosophers by name but i can Mm -hmm. tell you what i do think and when it comes down to reality and perception i think that our reality as we perceive it is is based on perception everything that we see absolutely we hear we think comes from external signals that our brain processes, mm-hmm. and that makes up our reality. Um, but that can be influenced, and I think that's where the systems of control comes in, mm-hmm. because our perception can be influenced by these systems. This is uh, uh, a philosopher, George Barclay. Okay, came up with the uh, like came up pretty much up with the quote where it's like, um, uh, just because you the idea that you can think about reality. Like, is reality real? How we, like, with the senses, mm-hmm. which is exactly what Lawrence Fishburne uses. Like, if I can, if I can touch it, I'm touching Jack. Yeah. If I can see it, I'm looking at Jack. Mm-hmm. If I can hear it, hi. I'm listening to Jack. Yes. If I can smell it, Jack smells good. Thank you. Uh, if I can do all of those things, that makes it real. Right. But, but, uh, but, but the is- extension of that is, does that make it real? Because all, just the idea of thinking about reality, does that make it real? It's the perception of like, but because reality can be questioned, because it can be thought about and looked at in some kind of tan, like some kind of tangen- tangential way, does that actually make it real? Because by most, by most discussions, it would, but there's still the idea how I'm perceiving everything in all senses in the world, tables, drink, food, taste, everything. That's the same way that I'm perceiving reality. Right. So where do you draw the line where something starts to become unreal that every that has been proven to be real? Right. I mean, your your brain is responsible for providing this reality for you. Mm-hmm. And it's the signals that your brain processes and internalizes that makes up your own reality. Like you what you see and what you hear and what you feel. But the problem is that your brain is is so sensitive and so subject to those sense so the, to those to those inputs that it can be fooled in many different ways easily i mean you yeah. think about any kind of you know you think about any kind of external stimulus that can change the way you see or what you smell or what you feel your brain is is those signals can very easily become scrambled mm-hmm. and because your reality consists of those signals if you scramble them you know you're changing your whole reality you take it, that's why you can take LSD and all it does is change the chemicals in your brain, but you see wildly different shit than everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Cause everything like, like, uh, Morpheus says, he's like, what is real? Like if you're talking about this, like your senses, 
These are just electrical things happening in your brain. Exactly. And this like breaks me apart a lot. Uh, thinking about how the how the body operates, how the brain and your organs, where it's just like, you're telling me that I pump all of this crazy shit into me and my body just filters it and gets it out of me without it killing me. And then you yeah. think about that on a brain level where you're like, I'm thinking about all of these things, like 18 different things at once, because that's just the way some people's brains work, where they're just like, bop, 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 bop. And then you're also thinking about what you're doing because you're walking or you're driving or you're you're making a sandwich. Mm-hmm. You're doing all of these things at once. And there's just all these motor functions that your brain is controlling. And you're just like, what the he- fuck is going on, man? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's pretty shit. crazy. And I think you can, and drive if you, yourself, you can drive yourself crazy by thinking about it too yeah, much. And if you take those kind of ideas and you put them in a video game analogy that also happens to have a bunch of really cool gun shootouts and martial arts fights, you got yourself a pretty fucking entertaining piece of art. Yes, you do. Yeah. yeah and that was another thing about uh, uh, Heigl was uh, he was very big into no no art for art's sake. It was never like... Art is not there just because somebody wants to produce it. Art is there and it should be and must be interpreted by absolutely everybody who looks upon it as a, um, what is it? It is, uh, ideas, uh, made like, uh, the presentation of ideas using, uh, sensor, like to, to using sensory needs. Like it's, it's, I, I can explain to you my idea just by talking to you about it. And us just going back and forth and conversing about it. Whereas a piece of art, whether it's a poster, a song, a movie, is you're supposed to just sit there and be quiet and look at it. And I should be able to get my entire point across, regardless of the medium of the art that I'm doing. And this is another thing that comes into what The Matrix is. They specifically picked the late 90s to be the most comfortable spot. They say like, we made like the most perfect thing for humans to be in, in the first matrix. And they hated it. And they hated it. Like they they couldn't accept it. And so we picked like the, the peak of your human civilization before we pretty much took over the AIs, the robots, Mm -hmm. the machines. Right. And we, and we popped you in that. And that's another thing that helps the matrix, uh, kind of get away from, the first one in particular, the second one, the CGI kind of fucks around with this. But yeah. in the first one, uh, there's really no kind of capture of time of when the movie was made. It takes place in the 90s because it was made in the 90s. But now, almost 20 years later, you can look at it and you're like, oh, it looks like that because they're in the 90s. Right. Because in this movie, in the early 21st century, the world ended. So now they're like, here you are in 1998. Like the movie starts in February of 98. And the final shot is in September of '99. Oh, that's something I didn't even know. It's right at the top, like with the uh, oh, with okay. the phone call thing. Yeah, you're right. That's why there's this whole theory that the ending scene in the first Matrix takes place after the events of Revolutions, because the phone booth that he's in is on the same intersection that Agent Smith and him are fighting in the rain in the city. You can see oh, the phone shit. booth in the background. Wow. And people have tried to discuss the timeline where does the first movie take a year and a half? to get done or is that including like the one month of reloaded and revolutions which happened over the course of like one month it's quick yeah so people are saying like oh is that over there is that over there and that's an interesting thing i don't think they meant for it to be that but again it's not really about what they what the wachowskis consciously tried to do sure it's about what's interesting to talk about that's why they can give us answers they they think it. That's why they don't do interviews and explain what they intended to do with the Matrix at all. They're like, right. we find it more interesting 
to hear other people's interpretations and discuss that and talk about it. Right. You know, and that's, that's kind of like the best way to go about it. You know, like if people don't like mother, you just shut the fuck up and you don't go out there and say stupid stuff. Yeah. I was about to bring up mother that the explanation of the artist intent blocks out the room for audience interpretation. And that's what makes art so dynamic. Yeah. And that's an interesting makes, yeah, just exactly. in the first place. Why you would even want to experience a new piece of art is you're like, man, I wonder what I'll get out of that as right. a person that I can take with me later. Yeah. Uh, this seems like a, yeah, this seems like a good place for a break. We'll uh, we'll come back and we'll do a little bit more blue pill action and talk about some like uh, the more uh, materialistic stuff, and then we'll come back to this like really weird uh, heady stuff. Good thing you came up with this drinking game to. Separate it out, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think, and hopefully, you with us are drinking along. You can pick up Pabst Blue Ribbon anywhere, and you can pick up a retail shop near you anywhere. Absolutely anywhere. Uh, So yeah, we'll be right back in a little bit. Hello, welcome to another episode of. It's Fitz, where Story Screen's film laureate, Brian Robert Fitzgibbons, speaks on a film. Today, Fitz will discuss the 1999 Wachowski's film, The Matrix. The Matrix. Watched it about a year and a half, to year, 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 half. <laughs> I'm just mumbling for because I don't know what to say about the Matrix. It's once again, what's up with all these trilogies? Um, I'm just glad you didn't. I'm not talking about Matrix two or three. I watched two. Don't care for three. Matrix one is awesome. Once again, this is not a review. Um, yeah. This has been another episode of It's Fits. Hello and welcome back to The Matrix Overdrinkers, yeah. starring Teen Heartthrob Jack Kolajeski and lovable little scamp Mike Burge. Hey, Mike. Hey, Jack. What do you think about The Matrix? The Matrix is very green. It is quite green. It is quite green. Yeah, Going back really to green. talking about things that you know that we can that we are told and that we see, not looking too much into it. What makes it a good action sci-fi adventure? Um, the the filter though is pretty cool because it is it's a very striking visual effect that you get that lets you know that this is other in a way that is like it's it's not. I don't think the green filter is. Um, overbearing in the way that it's like it's annoying or distracting but no. it's always omnipresent and it's you can insanely it's, it's stylistic it's very it's, stylistic it's good yeah and it's not there when they're in the real world exactly that's what makes and that's what's kind of fun in matrix reloaded they kind of take this more um this kind of like gold green perspective mm-hmm. to it and then in revolutions we start getting the orange right which is going to be how neo perceives the real world in the same way that he perceives the Matrix, Matrix, how he can kind of see the coding in reality, right? And Which is just I, I kind of like those, of yeah. like you know the the 
perception that he has is it's the signals that are being processed by his brain. And now his brain is processing these signals in these, this specific way. So there's no real, there's not, doesn't necessarily need to be a difference between the way that his brain processes the signals of the matrix and the real world. Mm -hmm. So it's another more, I mean, we're getting back into some red pill kind of stuff, but yeah, yeah, yeah. no, uh, this is still kind of tangible. Like yeah, we're talking yeah. about what but, we see. Like yeah. we're not just talking about, I feel like the red pill stuff is more, um, you really out, outside of the box uh -huh. kind of stuff. Like what is the movie trying to say beyond what it is saying? And we see the code. They sure. are breaks in, they are moments within the action that we are seeing. Like that's like a big reveal at the end when it's shown, like now he is seeing in code the and he's seeing rain. the hallway. Yeah. Um, so here's, this will be fun. What's your favorite, uh, action scene from the matrix from the first one? Yeah. Um, the first one really needs to be stressed, like how well they did by practical effects and practical stunts. Yeah, I would say probably the entire final 20 minutes of the movie, okay, which so like is uh, going down to the subway yep. And the, the gun gets shot off and now it's like, oh, we can't get him out. Like everybody runs. Everything's been built up. It's an, it's an amazing – the movie is uh, written with uh, the – you know the uh, writing uh, rule of three mm -hmm. for film where mm -hmm. it's like you, you present an idea first and then you narratively reinforce that idea by showing it come back. And then the third one is like the payoff. So like a really perfect example using this – moment here is that they say every they, they present the idea of the agent and that every everybody who has tried everybody who has tried to beat them has failed yes nobody has ever walked away and lived and then we are presented with counter arguments to that where it's like or or actually even supporting really is you know uh cypher says you see an agent you do what we do you, you run. run. Yeah. And we're like, well, Neo's the one, so he's going to be able to beat them. And then the Oracle tells us, you're not the one. Maybe in the next life, which comes back later. And we get all these things where we know at the end of the day, as a movie, he we're waiting for that moment where Neo is presented. He's one-on-one -on -one with an agent. And there's an, there's an exit right behind him. And he turns to go for it. Everybody on the other side of the screens in the real world is like, run, go, go. They're, he's going to get you. And he just turns around. Yep. And he faces bum, him. Bum, bum, bum. The it's music swells. Very, everything in the movie from that point on is a magnifique mwah, chef's kiss. It yep. is the fight choreography is fantastic. The moments, the buildups, the dialogue. You get that line from Morpheus where he's he just says, He's finally starting to believe. He's starting to believe. And this is, it, like, again, this is kind of like the <clears throat> the idea of um, uh, George Barkley, which is like, you know, I, like, uh, I, it's along the lines of I think, therefore I am. Mm -hmm. And it's about not necessarily taking in everything that you are. This is red pill stuff. You're right. Uh, I'm not getting, I'm not getting into that. Um, but he, he turns and he finally not only accepts what he is. And accepts the fact that he's going to have to find out for himself if he is in fact that thing. Right. When throughout the whole movie we've been shown that he, he probably is <clears throat> not. That he's got some gifts, but he just might be very gifted in that sense, not in the sense that they think that he is. And he turns around and him and Hugo Weaving, Agent Smith getting like this awesome gunfight at first. Switches yeah, over where we get this great moment from Agent Smith where he like straightens his jacket while like cracking his neck mm -hmm. to get ready for the fist fight. Yes. And 
we get it's great very, stuff. like classic kung fu like it is now. it's like popping your knuckles it is your yeah we get a nice really good gun standoff too right before the gunfight, which it harkens back to like good the bad and the ugly and a fistful of dollars with the showdown yep. we even get a little <clears throat> with uh garbage bags and trash from the subway blowing between them instead mm-hmm. of tumbleweeds exactly. or anything yep. it's really really good movie making the entire movie very good movie making and it's a classic the fight in the subway the chase scene that happens right afterwards getting chased down by all the agents while trying to get to room 303 which is the same room that we start the movie in with Carrie Ann Moss when she gets uh attacked by the four police officers it's mm-hmm. in the same building in the same room um all the way up to the hallway scene where Neo is eventually killed comes back fights agent smith again starts doing the one hand thing Yes. That's absolutely. And I, I don't think that there's any other fight scene in the first action or even just action set piece in the first Matrix that even compares to the final like climactic 20 minutes. I yeah. mean, would, would you say that's your favorite too or? Um, no, I wouldn't say. I, I agree okay. with you that it, that's probably like one of the best fight scenes okay, in no, that. Yeah, give but it to me. Not necessarily my favorite. I, I don't, I didn't really have an answer in mind when I, but I, there's so many like individual scenes that immediately come to mind that I really love. I love the first Kung Fu scene between Morpheus and Neo. The training, yeah. The training. Um, Stop trying to hit me and hit hey, me. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, do you really think my speed matters in a place like mm-hmm. this? And then he leans down and he's like, you think that's air you're breathing? Yeah. And that, I think that scene really hammers home this idea of, of like... The things that they're doing here are possible because they are aware of the system that they are within and they are able to – they know that it's not their muscles that are doing The idea this. of enlightenment exactly. being this transcendental thing that can take you from the ignorance that you didn't realize had been pulled over your eyes. Right. Where you can go, now that I know about this thing, I can – I can manipulate it. Right. And that extends to Morpheus's jump scene that takes place right after right. that training you scene where he's Neo like, going you have that. to free your mind. You have to absolutely, you have to know, not just believe, you have to know for a fact that if I jump off this building, I will land on that building. And that's the, you know, nobody ever makes it on the first try because that's a massive right. leap of, literal leap of faith. But also do. he's spent his entire life in the simulation. So the simulation feels real to him still. He can't separate the difference between the way he's lived his life thus far and how he feels in that moment where he knows that he's been going back to the world, real world. But at that point, probably just feel that feels like more like the bad dream than being back here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and we get I, several we get several like bad dream awakenings in the first third of the movie with Neo. Like this is interesting. I saw this. Uh, somebody uh, wrote an article on just like the uh, the visual motifs of the Matrix trilogy, and they pointed out something that I never noticed before. That each of the movies starts out with Neo asleep and waking up, mm-hmm. and in the first one he wakes up and then he's like kind of going around and then he kind of wakes up again and he's like, "Was that whole rager that I just did last night where I met?" trinity was that a dream or not yeah. he goes to work well, and then he's in the interrogation Zombie. scene then he wakes up again and he's like wow that was a weird dream too we get that a lot yes which builds up to him waking up from the dream that he thinks is reality which creates the dream within a dream thing where he wakes up in a pod in one of the most just disgustingly nightmarish visuals <clears throat> so i think that might be that scene when do you want to talk about the Animatrix? Because specifically, like, I want to talk about 
from the Animatrix, the second the second Renaissance short. Totally, movie. right now is like the best part for that. So my favorite part about the Animatrix, I, the Animatrix, if you haven't seen it, is nine short stories, all from different creators. Um, a lot of them are like very prolific in within the anime world. Like I think one of the guys did Cowboy Bebop. One of the dudes did Ninja Scroll. That's the um, samurai one you were talking about mm-hmm. before. And there were a couple other like really prolific creators. Um, more recently, I think the same guy that did, I think the the second Renaissance did the short for Blade Runner, twenty forty nine. Yeah, he's the uh, Cowboy Bebop guy. The Cowboy Bebop yeah. guy. Yeah. So um, one of the shorts is called the Second Renaissance, and it's a two two part short. So it's the longest of the nine. And it's all about the kind of history between the the humans and the the machines, and how humanity hit sort of a technological peak where they invented um, AI and subservient um, artificial intelligence that they basically used as kind of slave labor, um, and walks through the progression of how humanity's kind of hubris led them down the path of creating this artificial race that they used for their benefit and abused and how that the idea of rebellion really started with the machines and how the machines existed in the system where the the humans were manipulating them and then the first machine to kind of rise up against its creator is um put on trial and kind of treated as some having some sort of intelligence but of course within the human system is um loses its case because it murdered its creator and then you go it kind of all dissolves into this war between the the machines who really just want to exist on their own terms they want to be free exactly and humanity that wants to either enslave or genocide the machines like once they realize that these machines will rise up against them it shows and it uses imagery that is it uses like that vietnam imagery of the um the guy on his knees being executed, mm-hmm. like directly. Yeah, it's, there's got a, it, it's got a really intense scene with uh, like a, a woman is being beaten in the streets and her clothes being ripped off, and you're just like, oh my god, what the hell is this? And yeah. then like she gets like hit in the face, and like part of the skin comes off, and you realize it's a robot, right? And it's like, and they're just like they're killing her because she's a robot, yeah. but you can see this real genuine terror. Right. And fear for herself, like in that, where you're just like, oh my god, this is monstrous. But it, it uses real world, like it it parallels real world um, scenes. Mostly, I think, um, like there's a Tiananmen Square, like there's machines being like standing in front of tanks, but then being run down by mm-hmm. those tanks. Um, and then I don't know what the the specific name of that photo is, but I'm sure you know the photo of the the um, the guy like on his knees being executed in the street. Mm-hmm. You know the one I'm talking about. Like, yeah, that's that exact scene is is like replicated there, um, and it's it's really interesting the way that like the the that sort of conflict plays out between humans and machines because it sort of flips on 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 its head the entire idea of you know existing within the system and rising up and just trying to fight for your survival because that's exactly what humans put machines through, and then machines eventually form their own civilization. Um, that was apart from humans where they were able to self-replicate themselves and kind of just improve their technologies, which started to compete capitalistically with human society. And then human society decided they didn't want that competition anymore. 
and then we start naturally we wouldn't yeah right we are at the top and then started attacking the machines and started this war Mm -hmm. basically morpheus has that really good line in the first matrix where he says uh Human being, human know. beings were always so uh, dependent on machines to live. It seems that fate is not without a sense of irony because right. once machines took over, because eventually in the second Renaissance, it's revealed that you know the the the, the, the machines humans, power themselves by yeah. the sun. So we destroy, like we infected the clouds, which is a line that Morpheus has. Morpheus as well. has in the first one. We, so we, we scorched the, we, sun, the, sky we out the sky to stop them from being able to get the yeah. sun because without an energy source, and then they found a very good energy source in us. Humans. And so now they depend on us to live. And that is what reminds me of that is you talked about Neo waking up in that pod. And in that short, it shows the machines developing this technology in some like really graphic disturbing scenes of like humans that are bisected, mm-hmm. but still living. And like the machines like poking at our brain senses, or our brain centers to like, create stimulation and um, figure out how we can produce the like how human bodies can produce the most energy yeah and they eventually come to the fact that it's like well if we kind of create this like if we stimulate their brains over a long period of time we get all the energy we need out of one single unit instead of just like you know like growing babies and just like kind of using them for the energy that we can get just out of that small thing. We can grow that thing for anywhere from like 30 to 80 years and just have it constantly being stimulated to be able to create energy. They they call it an infinitely renewable energy source, Mm -hmm. which is so dark. They they even like they liquefy uh, the dead to create the goo that is the nutrients that is like covering all of them so it's like they're constantly recycling they're very earth-minded you know the earth is already gone but they're like you know we can recycle all this i guess when you have the limited resources that you have after the world has ended yeah you pretty much just kind of have to just keep using human beings and everything that you have from them to make (laughs) energy and and just i think that's such a very very dark kind of portrayal of the apocalypse and of of like a post-human society that is sort of like i don't think is what most comes to mind for most people when the matrix comes up like the first thing you don't think about is like this really dark portrayal of 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 society or post-human society where human beings are manipulated as energy sources and liquefied to feed other human beings so that mm-hmm. that energy source that control can be maintained yeah and uh, they they broach they broach the subject of like you know humans being their own downfall in the first matrix a little bit and then the animatrix it runs with it significantly yeah. exists to be able to exemplify those ideas going into matrix reload and just kind of fill in the holes that are needed because like there was a lot of questions the wachowskis have gone on record and said they want questions they want you to figure things out but there were some questions where you're like yeah i guess we should be more clear on that where this is why they created the the matrix reality to stimulate the brain because it makes more energy and that's where i think the animatrix is very important it's not just like this kind of side story fan fiction stuff even though about half of the episodes were written by the wachowskis themselves yeah that one was written by the wachowskis was written by them and this is kind of like filling in the holes of like well what happened because in the first one you're not supposed to know what happened the ambiguity is what leads into the scene where Morpheus figuring out what happened the scene where morpheus describes what happened to neo is very much sort of like someone that has some some of that knowledge because that this um segment from the animatrix the second renaissance specifically 
they say in the beginning, like, this is taken from the Zion historical archives. After the fact. Yeah. Of, like, they've won. Like, yeah. this is way, way in the future, and we're supposed to be a person that's plugged into the Zion archives to learn. Because Morpheus says in the beginning, like, we don't have much right. to go on uh, as far as, like, records of what happened. What we do know is rubbits were made, and mm. uh, they eventually... You know, the, the the earth was like came together in celebration, like there was peace and we made robots and now all of a sudden be, and I think it's 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 insinuated that because we all of a sudden created this intelligent however artificial it is, this intelligent form of life that we could now rule and govern and use, right. we were no longer preoccupied with fighting one another. Well, and we, we, but the problem was that we created this intelligence that can think for itself and act for itself without any sort of support system that gave that sentient intelligence any kind of right. Absolutely. It was, we created something that was smart enough to be able to take care of all of the tasks that we didn't want to do anymore. Right. And so this was, this was the version of like the, this was the idea of the physical nirvana for human beings, which, uh, you know, it being physical this is something where it's like, this is what we're going to, where like, we don't have to do work anymore. We have built these things that do it for us and that can do it just as well as we can right. because they think the exact same way that we do. And it's in that where it's like, this is how we uh, accomplished world peace. We no longer have to fight wars. We no longer have to do anything. We have these things that can do all the things that we don't want to do. Mm -hmm. And now we can focus on bettering ourselves however uh greedily that might be but and in tangent in tangential ways in that own in that way it is still a um a commentary on human behavior in that we achieve world peace by creating a new slave race exactly and it's only when that when that race comes forward and says look you created us and you immediately pushed us into a secondary less than race. You right. othered us immediately because right. we are different from you. But here we are telling you that we are not different. We're just different physically. But we, we, we think the same way because you built us. You are, you are our parents and you made us. So we think the exact same way that you do. Mm -hmm. And it's the human beings like they're, they're guile. Like they just don't, they don't give it to them. Mm -hmm. And that's where a war breaks out. And eventually it's like, well, I'll just shut them down. So we scorch the skies. And we think that that's going to be the end of it. But it completely ruins human beings' lives. And it gives the robots the only alternative method that they have, which is using human beings as like the source of energy. Yeah. So um, all those themes, I think, are, are explored a lot more in, in that part of the animatrix. And I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. It's definitely the best, you know, because it is a two-parter. It's definitely the best installment in the Animatrix. It's the yeah. most interesting, especially if you're a fan of the Matrix yeah. and Matrix lore and the mythos that it they're building. It definitely expands the lore and the mythos Yeah, a in, lot. in a very like natural way. They're not coming up with shit out of nowhere. No. They're building off of the line that Morpheus used where he's like, we have some records. We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know this. And they just go off of those two sentences and go, and it's the Wachowskis doing it. Yeah. So they're like, no, oh, this is what we intended. So this is what it is. It's insanely fun. The entire Animatrix. Yeah. I mean, great. the rest of it is really cool as well. It's like kind of little vignettes on, you know, humans finding their own way to escape the Matrix in different ways. Like most of the, All the other the ones, vignettes yeah. are mm -hmm. pretty much. The, the Olympic running one, I love. That's great. That's a great one. Um, and we'll try not to go into too many plot stuff there just to save time and also give people the chance to like check yeah. these things out. Yeah, yeah. And, 
be wild. Uh, yeah, if you a, like the Matrix and you have not seen the Animatrix, oh, do highly, it immediately. Highly I think you can like buy it for like five bucks on yeah. like any digital download system like yeah. Amazon or anything. Amazon recently had it for very cheap. Uh, there's also the one that's like a prologue for the kids character from Reloading Revolutions. Yes. Uh, which is about essentially like a retelling of like, you know, a depressed version of Neo who feels kind of like isolated from the world and feels more at home on the computer and with these kind right. of like, you know, not fake friends, but it, like it these mirror, digital representations. It mirrors of the beginning of The Matrix where Neo's like, is, you know, is there anyone out there? Yeah. And it's Neo talking to him and it's supposed to take place between the matrix and reloaded where he's going around and bringing people out. Cause they say at the beginning of reloaded, like he's awoken, he's, he's, uh, unplugged right. more people like in the past couple months than like anybody like has before because he's going through and he has a way yeah. of explaining and a way of controlling because he is an anomaly or at that point it's because he is the one right. and he can do it. Uh, um, there's also beyond which kind of explores like glitches in the matrix. Mm hmm. The whole idea is there's like this area in this kind of abandoned vacant lot where there's a, a high level of what you, what you would consider to be kind of um, uh, activity. What would you say? Uh, paranormal activity kind of? Or yeah, like, like they, they describe it as a haunted house. There's <laughs> yeah. this house where weird shit happens. You hear voices, things float, things move. Yeah. Uh, Thor, the dark world, pretty much rips this thing off eventually. Have you seen Thor's Dark World? I have, yeah. Remember, they go to that. There's all those kids that bring Natalie Portman to that one spot where you can drop cans down it. You're right. And it just disappears. Wow. And it's it, it it's like the... It's not a direct ripoff, but just the functionality the of how it's shot it, yeah. and how it's introduced in yeah, the rules right. is exactly how these kids bring this girl into a place that's got some weird stuff that they go to play at because they think it's fun. Yeah. And she goes like, well, this is a little weird because I'm kind of like an adult. Yeah. And um, this is scary. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see the agents come in and like basically like pave over it and fix the glitch. Can you believe that going back to the Matrix, can you believe that putting a bunch of, you know, just like well-groomed, tall white dudes in suits and ties and glasses they were able to take that entire like bodyguard secret service mentality like cia kind of stuff and completely make it their own where now when you see somebody when you see somebody dressed up at a halloween party mm -hmm. and they're dressed up in a black suits with a white undershirt black tie and they're wearing glasses and they have an earpiece not even the earpiece. Yeah. Like, do you look at them and you go, oh, that's just like you a either. really fancy person or a CIA agent? Or do you go, that's an agent from the Matrix? Well, I mean, you could say that's just an agent and that will cover it. Yeah. It, you're just like, wow, like that's... But it's that that is the idea of like that kind of what you think of as an agent of control. Yeah. Like the person really that has that uh, unlimited power yeah. and they can just come in and even the police themselves are like, I love the beginning of the Matrix where it's like the cops have sent two units up and he's like i don't get don't feed me that juris my diction crap which well, like see, oh you're... good for you buddy were you holding that one in the yeah. whole time waiting until like some kind of fbi cia guy showed up what does he see basically says to him like your men are already dead well because he's also got that great line where he says like i think we can't handle a little girl yeah <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> yeah which carrie Ann moss 
I think is unsung in this first movie. She is. She really like, she starts out the movie. She's our main character at the beginning of the movie. And then unfortunately, because, you know, she's a woman, she gets put into a supporting role eventually. It's fine. It's fine. We're dealing with other things. It's okay. It's fine. And she, and she eventually does have great shit to do in Reloaded. She does. And, um, then she's kind of like, again, pushed back into a support structure in Revolutions for Neo where she's essentially, you know, like, uh, his Virgil in like Dante's Inferno. Like right. I'm just kind of here to guide you because you're, you're motherfucking blind, bro. Right. Um, one of the things I wrote down from my notes when uh, I watched this uh, for this recording specifically was that I think the love story that, that Neo and Trinity and they, they ex- definitely explore more in the Matrix Reloaded. So I applaud them for that. Mm-hmm. But the love story that they're establishing here where Trinity was told by, um, um, the oracle. The oracle that she would fall in love with the that she'd fall in love with the dead man, but he would be the one. It's it's complicated, but still, the kind of like relationship that they have, I think, is somewhat actually underwritten in the way that they're supposed to be in love with each other, mm-hmm. or like what her kind of love for him is what sort of brings him back in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's not like that much actual interaction that ever really happens yeah. between Trinity and Neo in the I, Matrix. I was thinking about this last night when I watched it because I didn't get it the first time I watched it about a year ago uh, when we were originally playing the podcast. But watching it last night, it was... Uh, I think you need to completely take away... To really understand what they're doing with their romance in this movie, you need to take away the other two movies and not know where that goes. And if you do that... It's much more understandable how they approach the topic of having the only female character in the movie be the love interest. Hey, and they treat hey, whoa, it with... whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't leave out Switch. Switch is actually... Do you know about Switch's original character in the screenplay? No. That WB wouldn't let them do? No. Switch was originally... <laughs> was it Switch a was trans a... character? What Switch was originally... The reason she was called Switch... Yeah. was she was a uh, woman in the real world. And when she would plug into the Matrix, she was a man. Interesting. And they were dealing with the idea of it's your self. It's how you project who you are to yourself. And even though Switch is inside the body of a woman in the real world, the projection of herself and who she is, is, is male in the Matrix. And so this was kind of like, broaching these transgender ideas yeah. and back in 1998 wb was like uh excuse me um <laughs> look we really like what you guys are doing but people are not gonna get that and i think it was on wb's defense uh, i don't think shame. it was more of a i don't think it was so much of a like a like a class issue where they were like people aren't going to agree with it i think they were like you guys are dealing with so much heady shit here i think this is going to be a little bit intense where you're like get the characters the actors that play them in the real world play them in that it makes one less thing that we need to explain the movie's already over two hours long let's get or they could have been assholes either way every time no knowing that now every time i watch it i think of switch as that and they do 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 the Wachowskis do a very good job of uh, changing Switch's demeanor between the real world and the Matrix. And now that you, if you hadn't known this before, next time you watch it, pay attention to the way she handles herself and the way that she speaks and the way that she, like the facial expressions that she does in the real world compared to the very few scenes that we get her in the Matrix. Yeah. There's much more of a kind of stereotypical male bravado oh, in the Matrix stuff. 
that could just be me reading into it too much because I really like that idea and want it to be present in the movie in some way. Hmm. Um, but again, that kind of really goes towards what we eventually discovered about the Wachowskis uh-huh. themselves and like the, and the, uh, the, the, the sexual awakening that it had inside of me uh-huh. with the matrix. Oh, not like this. Like, look, I, I, I respect women. Of course. I do. I, I try to be mindful and, of course and, and, and be, and be nice and kind and polite. Polite's hey, a big one. We I try thir- to listen. We were 13 once and Carrie Ann Moss is wearing a leather suit. I want, you know? I wanted to fuck Carrie Ann Moss Whoa. so bad. Okay. That's what I'm saying. That's why I stapled okay. it up. Okay. With, like I'm right. respectful. Okay. I respect Carrie Ann Moss. I think she's one of, I, I think she's insanely underrated. Yeah. They Hollywood used her and shoot her up and spat her out. But you know what? That's okay. Like her and Jessica Jones is fucking phenomenal. Yes. I love that she's in something she's where a, she can really like branch out yes. and like fucking do some really cool stuff. But I really wanted to fuck her she, when I was 13 she is, years she is, old. But that's, you know, she is a powerful woman yes. in this movie. She yeah. is an example of a woman who is, she is not a damsel in distress. She's a powerful player that has her own like her own story threads to go on. She has her own place in the story. I mean, again, she's like, like the main character of the movie yeah. until we're introduced to Neo like eight minutes into the movie. Like we're like, oh, you're you're who we're worried about. Mm-hmm. You're the one that's fighting against the bad guys. We've been shown they're the bad guys because they look like dicks. Yeah. Like Hugo Weaving. Yeah. She kicks ass, man. She kicks fucking ass. Yeah. She's powerful. She can think for herself. She ain't going to take none of this fucking, this, this boyish charm shit from Keanu Reeves. Yeah. I'm already She's, in love with you. And when when Shut up. even when Neo says like I'm going in to save Morpheus, you're staying here. She's like She's I'm like, the, the fucking, fucking cow. I'm I in am. charge here, buddy. Yeah. Like I get to tell you if you're going. Yeah. I've said you can go and now Bop, bop, bop. I'm going with Motherfucker, you. Motherfucker, you just got like, here. I've known, yeah, she's like, I've known Morpheus for so long, yeah. and you just got here. Uh, big thing, too, before we break into, because um, I can see we're getting antsy for the red pill again. We, we're, clearly, we're not cut out for the blue pill. No, we the blue, well, no, I think we've been doing really good with the blue pill. We didn't do okay. We've been keeping it down. We went to the Animatrix to the get heady that ideas we, da, 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 sneak da. in. Yeah. yeah. We didn't get too heady with the Animatrix. Well, you have Which I think is important. You haven't named any philosophers. That seems to be the dividing line here. Okay, yeah. So, red pill, I name <laughs> philosophers name and talk philosophers. about ideas. Um, before we move on, though, I think a huge fucking big flaw with the Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revolutions is... Is our fucking mother is is, is goddamn it, our boy Michael from Lost? Yeah. Oh, dude, that scene where he walks in. Where's my put? Where's my puts? Hey. hey. Very good. Oh, Very man. good. Very good. Fuck. Look, uh, what's his name? Mm. The actor's name? Yeah. What's the actor's oh, name? Oh, t- come on, man. We're both big Lost yeah, heads. We know this. No. Are we really going to look this up? Uh, you're better with names than I am. I am, and I know his fucking name. It might come to you. Um, mm. All right, what, what about, about him? What about uh, him? should not have been in the movie. It should have been Tank. Yeah, Tank And was I alive. think the main thing is that they couldn't get Tank back, the actor that portrayed Tank, due to scheduling issues. Because this guy does the exact same job that Tank does, he plus does. flying the ship. He's also like his cousin, I think. That's the whole... No, it's he is his uh, brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. He's married it. to Tank's sister, that's Tank it. and Dozer's sister. That's it. So it's like, you can Man, even look Tank. at that and you go like, they God. meant for it. They meant, and he's so fucking good in The he's Matrix. Great. In the first Matrix, Tank is... 
Ooh, exciting times. I love that scene. It's where he's so, like, he's so, you can feel the energy of how excited he is. He's talking to Neo and he's just like, he's doing that like yell whisper. He's like, man, we've been looking for you for so long. Not supposed to talk about this right now, bro, no, but like, so ooh, I am so excited you're here. We got a lot of work to do. Come on, man. I'm gonna go teach you Kung Fu. Let's go. <laughs> it's so good. And we're gonna start but out you know, with some operational system stuff, but that's all shit. But that's, uh, that's another thing that I think is somewhat overlooked for the Matrix is one of the things that it does really, really well is it has so many good supporting characters in there mm-hmm. the entire crew of they're all interesting the, in their own uh, way and, and then they, they you um, know they turn the movie into a fucking the, slasher sorry, film for a second the nebuchadnezzar the nebuchadnezzar pause there for a second to remember that one but i mean mouse tank dozer switch um who's the ponytail guy apoc apoc mm-hmm. yes cypher and then cypher yeah. yeah they've got a really good well-rounded crew where it's like filled with people like yeah you would need all these people to be able to do all this shit yeah and they all have different ways of like you know apoc and switch seem like uh you know like they're pretty much like best buds so yeah. they're kind of like just saying the same stuff conversely mouse is like you know completely just carrying on that like uh, young male stereotype of just i mean like, mouse i want to fuck kid pretty much comes in and is like fills in sort of the mouse role sort of in the matrix and i guess so mouse always struck sort of me as like, more of like a slimy motherfucker i think like i, I see him more as like young and like naive energetic and naive okay yeah, yeah. sure yeah. and that's you know and then the kid shows up and the kid the guy that plays mouse seems like he's in his early 20s and he's playing a character that's in his early 20s and then the kid is supposed to be 16 years old and he's played by a guy that's like 30 years old yeah yeah and he's, just, yeah. he's just like kind of walking around yeah. and like oh hi they had to name him kid so you know that he's supposed to be young and completely keep referring to the fact that he's young yes he's young trust us He's 16. Just deal with him. He's 16. Trust us. You got to be 18 years old to be able to join. You're not that yet. Trust us. But uh, yeah, Uh, I really wish that they had kept Tank in there. Yeah, I would have liked that as well. I mean, at that time, no, that was pre-Lost. Matrix Reloaded came out, wouldn't it? Um, That would be, yeah, pre-Lost. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but a really good, I really liked the, the supporting cast in... In the Matrix. And it's are, we gonna, are we going to pop a red pill now and then talk about Cypher? We got to pop a red pill, baby. Yeah, is this when we're going to talk about Cypher, though? Yeah, actually, there's there's some really good uh, there's some really good stuff in there to talk about. You got a little bit more of that, that blue right there? Right, let me just finish my blue pill. Really okay. Quick. Um, I like that there aren't really uncomfortable sex scenes in the first Matrix. <laughs> as opposed to the other ones where you're just the, like... Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to watch this with my parents because, like, you guys are yeah. going overboard. You know, like, when, when certain movies do sex scenes so over the top where it's almost as if the movie doesn't think that we know what sex is? Mm-hmm. Like, no. I'm watching The Punisher right now on no. Netflix. Yeah. And there are some sex scenes in that, which I know for a character's sake, I know, like, why they're getting there because this guy's supposed to be, like, super vain and stuff like that and something eventually happens. But they do, they linger on, like, on that fucking yeah for like a really long time that even mm. made me and my girlfriend like uncomfortable watching it we're mm. like all right we get it okay uh-huh. right can we get back to please get back to the Frank castle violence? like doing stuff and everything what's going on can we get back to the graphic violence please because this sex is making me very uncomfortable i'm not gonna look up the actor that plays michael i'm going to think of it before the end of this podcast okay. fucking mark my words oh Good. Let's see how deep this rabbit hole goes. Mm. 
Alright, cheers to you. Ba bow. Mm. So. So. Plato. No, we were gonna talk about Cypher. Okay, Cypher, let's go. <laughs> Cypher. What do you got? Um, so the idea that someone that takes the red pill, right? Mm-hmm. And is because really when Morpheus presents Neo with his choice, he doesn't say Take the blue pill, you wake up in your bed tomorrow, this never happened. Take the red pill, your life is going to fucking suck. Because now you're going to be outside of this system that you're so comfortable in. You're going to be in the real world, which is post-apocalyptic, where we live on this grody-ass ship, swimming through the sewers, being chased by octopus robots. Mm -hmm. And you might be killed at any time. Cypher's perspective is that Morpheus lied to him. And told him that he was going to give him the truth by taking the red pill and really changed his life for the worse. And Cypher's idea is that he would rather live back in this system where he is comfortable and mm-hmm. can be made comfortable than live in the real world and know the truth but deal with the, the hard reality that exists with the truth. Mm-hmm. As long as he doesn't remember... You know, what the, the truth betra- actually the, the, is. Right. As long as he doesn't remember the truth, what the truth actually is, and also the betrayal that he did to get back to the mm-hmm. the system. Right. And that's that's why I actually, like, this is exactly what I was getting to with uh, Plato. Right. Is that Plato has this uh, really, really cool idea. of uh, It's called the cave. Have you ever heard of this? Yes, I have heard of the so cave. So this is very much <clears throat> what Cypher is dealing with in this, where in the cave, the, the idea of Plato's the cave is that if you were to take a cave that's like deep underground and you uh, had people in there who were born in there, uh, chained to a wall, facing the wall, and never knew anything else of the outside world, they would believe that this is the world. This is reality. This is all that there is. And they would have no problem with it because mm-hmm. this, they have no, they have no context for anything else it's to. It's literally all they know. It's all they know. Mm-hmm. And then if you were to take this per, take this person out of the cave and bring them into the world and like they go out and their eyes adjust and they're able to see the sun for the first time mm-hmm. and they're able to, uh, smell and hear and taste and, and have their senses work uh not even just specifically in ways of like specifically eating this one thing or anything like that but just having their entire world right, just ended yeah, yeah yeah that they are in there now it's would they feel more comfortable going back to the cave to the cave to what they know to what they believe is safe and secure and it's it's kind of uh the cave mentality is flipped for the matrix where the real world is very dark and scary and uh you know just like un- Awful, almost unlivable limited. if yeah. you have the comparison to the fake world where in plato's the cave the cave is the fake world because we we as human beings that live in the world know that that is not the whole world correct and it's this kind of flip of that where cypher is saying you know in the matrix yeah, I was I was chained up. I was a slave. I was a prisoner, but I didn't know I was a slave. I didn't know I was a prisoner. The world that I was in is all that I had, and I had all of these senses and all of these I could eat steak and I could I could actually believe that I was eating it and I could be happy and I had like these opportunities and chances to experience life the way that I believe 
experiencing life has been defined already. And it, it goes back to the idea of reality as perception, right? Where he says in that monologue where he's having dinner with an agent, he says, you know, I put the steak in my mouth and the Matrix is telling my brain that it's juicy and delicious. Which meat is. And he is, he says, you know, that is, that is a acceptable reality for him to live in where he can have those pleasures mm-hmm. and the matrix he knows that the matrix is giving those pleasures to him but to him you know it's the reality he chooses it's the ignorance is bliss it's a really good breakdown of the stereotypically spoken ignorance is bliss it's a really great breakdown of that where it's like yeah if if the alternative is all of this like pain pain and just like if if the uh you know the um a byproduct of enlightenment is coming to grips with this understanding uh personally and culturally that things are wrong and it is a lot of people's choice to you know you can talk to somebody who you know to like use specifics and stuff like you know you can talk to somebody who like loves owning guns as a hobby and you can talk about the idea of gun control and talking about the idea of gun control with them, gun control from the perspective of what you would call like the liberal or democratic standpoint, the idea that like we need to build more of them and we need to really perfect this thing because obviously it's not right because bad things are happening all of the time. This is just like a very easily understandable thing. But because of the reality that they have built themselves around people who are not necessarily gun fanatics, but just people who like guns and it's their right to own them and they use them responsibly and buy them responsibly and legally, they're like, I'm not doing anything wrong. So why do we need to change things? They've morphed themselves into an ideology that borderlines on brainwashing where they think just because they themselves are doing things correctly that everybody else in the world not only is doing things correctly, but has the opportunity to do things correctly. And we need to change the things that are making them misuse them instead of changing the very ways that we can access them. And that's using guns just as an example. You can pretty much put anything else into but it, it that goes, whole idea. It goes back to what I was saying before is, you know, our reality is perception, but that perception is altered by systems of control. Yes. And what the system wants us to believe. And these people, like they... Just like people like you and me that read uh, movies, like using that as an example, like we r- read about movies and we have websites that we go to and newsletters and mm-hmm. Instagram accounts and mm-hmm. all of these different subreddits if you're on Reddit, like all these different things that we can go to to get the fix on the on the hobby that we love. Mm-hmm. And their hobby happens to be um, about a thing that was designed to kill people as quickly as possible. Right, but even stepping away from the gun metaphor. Right, like, no, I'm uh, just using those as an example. I'm not trying to make this about can, that. You can see the system of, of influence or control to your perception or your reality from even like when you put it in the context of movies, like when you put something like Rotten Tomatoes, right? Or you like, look, it is an easy trap to fall into and you can be self-aware of that Absolutely. System, system of control. But to look at something reviews or opinions or can easily influence you before you experience a work for yourself Uh, yeah and that influence can be hard to shake Mm -hmm. because it is it is changing your perception of something like that because you have already had the influence of the system pressed upon your perception right that's when i was i've talked to you and robbie about this off mic before and i think a little bit on like when i was going to college i 
did this thing where I took uh, I took uh, philosophy, psychology, and sociology classes at the same time because my understanding of these things were only having one enlightens only so far Mm -hmm. and having the other ones allows those allows those enlightenments to really change you personally and allow your demonstration of those enlightenments in the world to have like a better effect not only on yourself and how you operate within the world but how the world you know not so much revolves around you but how you are revolving within the world Mm -hmm. and I think of it as like like uh, as a hot air balloon. Philosophy is the balloon itself that can enlighten you and you can understand these ideas and become self-aware about these things. But without a basket that you can control things in with sandbags that can keep it down, which is psychology, which allows you to understand and keep that enlightenment down to a level that is practical and not too out there, which is where you can start getting religious well, philosophies. Understand like what that. might lead people to think in the ways that they do. Right. Or generate the philosophy. Absolutely. That they do. It allows you to go, okay, this is a really good idea. Where do these kind of ideas come from and what type of person comes up with these? And it allows you to kind of pick through all the different stuff. And then sociology is essentially where that balloon now that it is weighted down and it's not going to go too high, it's not going to crash, where is it going to go? Right. And that is the the flame inside that allows you to go up and down, back and forth, side to side, and allows you to move in the direction that you need to go. And the coolest thing about this metaphor is that even though you think that you're in control because you think you know enough about philosophy and psychology to be able to enter a conversation, when it comes down to uh, culture and society, there's always going to be the unexpected wind, which is also what's carrying the hot air balloon wherever it's going. And you need to be able to adjust how high you are or how low you are on the psychological and philosophical level to be able to talk about things with people where not not so much that they can understand it, but more so so that you can understand them. So do you think these are all concepts that the Matrix continues? Because it, it obviously opens up these questions, right? And it opens up these conversations. But do you think, especially in the second and third mm-hmm. movies in the series, do you think it's a conversation that it continues and it delivers upon? I think that the first Matrix is heavily philosophical, because that's kind of what their idea was. Their idea was, can we take an action movie with pew-pews and pow-pows and not make it, you know, just kind of dumbed down? Give it like this really kind of fun, like, it's still enlightening conversation to have yeah. where people will walk away. And they're not just talking about, like, that was my favorite part. What did, what part did you like? I, they can be like, well, what did you think that, you know, this part meant? Or what did this part I, mean? I still think that there's a more subtle balance going on in the first movie where it's bringing up these more heady psychological Absolutely. philosophical ideas and without the, being but the in second, your face about the them. the second two really head into well what does it mean to uh to be enlightened philosophically like or think about morpheus's character even, with his dog like what does it mean to be in control right well, and that's what is, that's what i'm saying like what, Mor- what is morpheus, causation really or what morpheus's is- whole thing with his i love in the first movie and it's the one thing that morpheus loses in the second too where the more we get to see his character and how he reacts to things, and he's got a great line in Reloaded where, like, somebody tells him, he's like, you understand that, like, not everybody shares your beliefs. And he's like, my beliefs don't require them to. Mm-hmm. There's that. 
And that's really the only semblance of what we get in the first movie that makes Morpheus such an interesting character is that we are introduced to this guy who's like an Obi-Wan kind of mentor in like the hero's journey archetype of Neo. We barely talked about Morpheus at all. Right. Yeah. Well, this is like a good spot to do it. Yeah. Because it's really interesting where he is presented all of these things that he's telling us. We as the people that these revelations are being explained to and him as the person who is explaining it, we think like this guy knows his shit. Yeah. This is a guy that can be trusted. Whatever he says goes. And that gets... Very rousing ooh. speech in Zion. Right, yeah. yeah. But even in the first Matrix, that gets ripped right out from under our feet when the Oracle says, you're not the one. And in context of knowing where the movies go, and even just the first one, we know that, oh, she was telling him what he needed to know for right now. And yeah. Morpheus eventually says that. But in the context of watching the movie, not knowing how it's going to end, all of a sudden, we realize that uh, Morpheus might actually just be like this kind of like dogmatic. Like he's a zealot. man of faith. Yeah. Like he's yeah. a man of faith and his faith might be misguiding him. He's constantly saying, I know that he is. I know that he is. I know that he is. And he's telling Neo, you need to believe and you need to know. And we're like, oh, that's how we break this. And in that moment, we're given the revelation that, oh shit, maybe Morpheus doesn't no. really know. He's yeah. saying all of these things because he wants them to be true. Yes. And that's, an insanely interesting thing to do with a side character like Morpheus, with a mentor character. And we're given the moment where the mentor character is ripped away from the hero. Right. And Which is a great scene also. The fight scene between dude, Morpheus like every and... scene in this movie. It's great. It's just like, it flows so good. There's not any wasted time in this movie. There's not. And even the times that are small, like, they are fun. Like, uh, the, the scene where, like, the tasty weeds yeah, scene the tasty weeds. is so great. Yeah. Where Mouse is talking about, like, how did robots know what Tasty Wheats tasted like. Like, maybe they got it wrong. But even that small moment is still continuing the the conversation of perception. Absolutely. And it's we've had the, this talk on the podcast, like, for almost the entire time since we started them, like, over a year ago. The idea of exposition and why, like, exposition is not bad. It's when exposition is utilized just for the sake of exposition. Right. Like, in that scene, we are learning about these ideas that they're talking about with simulation and what is real and what what makes the Matrix real and what makes the real world real. But it's doing it in the same way that's that's involving us with these characters and making it so that when they start getting unplugged later and they start dying, that we actually at least have a minuscule amount of care. Like when right. Mouse gets blown away, we've he's been in like two scenes before this. We barely know the guy. Yeah. But he's we're like, oh, I like him. He he's a, a woman nice red. He's he kinda, was doing he's, Tasty Weeds thing. Yeah. He wants Neo to get his fuck on with like this cartoon character that he, yeah. that he invented. Sure, it's fine. Yeah. Aw. I love it. Yeah. And Apoc has a ponytail. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he's got a ponytail. Yeah, not like this. Nobody else has a ponytail. No. Mm-mm. It's true. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah. Hmm. Man. We also haven't talked about... Speaking of Morpheus and speaking of um, his role in the film, especially him being captured by Smith. I love that scene with him fighting Smith and him... Um, and uh, the rest of the crew kind of escaping down yeah. the shafts. At the beginning of that, when Morpheus is just like, all right, I'm going to have to fight this guy. And he just goes... Ah! And like yeah. busts through the wall. Yeah, yeah. Because he knows he's like he's, like, this he's is not, not doing I'm not it. Gonna and do this. But. This is again like the whole like rule of three thing from before. Yes. Oracle Toad told uh, Neo he has a choice. You have right? a choice. Yeah. Like one of you is going to die, and Morpheus is going to sacrifice himself for you because he believes in you so much. Right. Then we get oh he's sacrificing himself, and then we get the payoff, which is Keanu goes. You know what? 
no, I'm going to go try. I'm going to go try. And because I believe that I can save it. That's a scene I want to talk about because I don't want to miss on this because another one of my favorite scenes is the scene, the lobby scene. Mm-hmm. Um, because that scene is just so iconic as well. The gun, it, it, yeah. the whole progression of is that the Neo saying to, to Trinity, like, I'm going to go save him. And he says, you stay here. And Trinity's like, fuck you. No, I'm not. Then they go in that you have, you get that I need guns, lots of guns scene. Mm-hmm. And then is the lobby scene where they're going into the building where Agent Smith is holding Morpheus and they have the scene where they're shooting kind of, there's like the pillars, the columns yeah. in in the lobby and the the columns are just blowing apart from mm-hmm. the bullets as they're... It took forever to shoot that too. I'm sure it did. They had to keep did. redoing I'm things sure and redoing things. Um, is that the scene that has the... There are... There are a lot of big music cues in this movie. Mm-hmm. Is that the scene that has the Yeah. There's that one. There's there's a lot of the the like the orchestral and um kind of like synthetic music that's going on in this movie is really good. And it's just like it's music that was made by artists that you like, you know, like you play it in like your taekwondo class, you know, because it gets you going. There's the one when he's like walking when Keanu Reeves is walking through the the crowds and Morpheus is leading him through, and it's that dun 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 right? Yep. You know that one? I think so. Like that one's really good and they build on that one in Matrix Reloaded, which before when you asked me what was my favorite action set piece in the movie uh-huh. in matrix it's definitely the last 20 minutes my favorite action set piece from all of them in all of them is definitely that fight in matrix reloaded in when they go and they uh with all like the weapons on the walls yes and in the chateau it's with just the this super long yeah and the music lines up so perfectly because they're obviously making the fight scene go along with the music yes it is. I would rewatch that. That's a cool scene where it's they're kind of just like cool jumping scene. around like slowly. Yep. And-, and you're getting to see Neo like how he was at the end of the first Matrix instead of just like fighting just one person real quick in a hallway and just blowing him up. Well, you're getting to see like what can this guy do against like a group of eight people? Well, it starts out with him walking into the room and everybody in there has a machine gun or a submachine gun and is just like firing at Neo and he's just got his hand up and he stops all the bullets and the Merovingian looks at him and goes, hmm, you have some skill. Yeah. And it's like, all right, so bullets aren't going to do it. So yeah, let's, well, let's, 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 let's fight. Yeah, 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 let's Kung Fu. Let's yeah. do the Kung Fu. And I, let's I think that that's a, uh, the best part, action-wise, you know, just like... That's a cool scene. It's There are some scene. cool... Because that scene leads directly into the big car chase scene. Right, which Matrix is also Reloaded, really, really cool. Which is also very cool. When the you two trucks you collide, rewatched Matrix Reloaded... I did. ...recently for... I mean, we, we yes. watched all of them yeah. about a year ago, like when we were starting to plan this and we brought our notes in from that. Yep. But last night, I chose to rewatch The Matrix, and you chose Matrix Reloaded. Uh, I wasn't jealous last of that. night. I watched it a few nights ago. Okay. But I, yeah, for last this, night, yeah. I watched The Matrix, The Animatrix. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, I want to talk about the scene very just right before the lobby scene, because there was a scene, someone else that we haven't really talked about at all thus far is Smith. Mm-hmm. Because one of my favorite scenes with Smith is when he has Morpheus captured and he takes out his earpiece. And this is the first time Smith kind of differentiates himself from the rest of the agents. Which becomes a bigger play later on in the movies. But in this movie, too, is like a very good revelation where it's like, 
oh, this guy isn't just, it makes him a more formidable bad guy. Yeah, like this isn't just like a program. This is a guy who wants this shit to be over. over. Yeah. He he says to Morpheus, I hate this. I hate this. The I hate it. the smell. And Hugo Weaving is just fucking chewing on the scene. This is like his big break into everything. And everything after this, like, I think his, there's that whole Marvel conversation where Marvel movies don't have good bad guys. And I feel like everybody forgets about Red Skull. Yeah. Because he's like, he's just a fucking Nazi. He's a Nazi. He's a Nazi. He doesn't need any elegance to him. They make good bad guys. And this is not just like a Nazi. He's like, I've got a big red skull. I'm Hugo Weaving and I'm going to use magic. Yeah. What more do you want in a bad guy than that? I guess. I guess. A magical Nazi Who's got a big red skull and he's played by Hugo Weaving? I think the argument is more so Fuck that Killmonger. I think that's the, the shit that I want. Right the there. argument is more that you want you know villains that are sympathetic in their own way and have uh, motivations. That I make want sense. some. I want some, but, but not every villain needs pathos. Red Skull Nazis. They are need also, an ethos. I guess, that's all I want. Sure, um, but Agent Smith differentiates himself from the rest of the agents in control because he has his own motivations and he has motivations that exist outside of. The system that the Matrix has built for him, because yeah, he, he does not his, like he takes being, his earpiece. He out. takes the earpiece out, and he's talking to Morpheus, and it's such a good scene because Morpheus is at the edge of like um, his his mental capacity here. Well, because he's, he's been, been injected down. with something where it's like at any moment now you're gonna break, right? And you're gonna you're gonna tell us everything that we need to know. He wants to get into Zion so he can just destroy it because right. without they these infiltrators the into the Matrix, yep. his program is not needed. Right, right. exactly. Um, yeah, so I really love that scene as well, and I love the idea of he he breaks down the the concept of classifying humanity. That's right. Right, I was gonna say that's right before he unplugs, and when he's like, while they're waiting for Morpheus to succumb to this like liquid that they've injected into him, that's essentially like you know, a truth serum kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. He breaks down. Yeah, he says uh, to Morpheus that you know he tried academically to. Uh, classify humanity and he says he realizes that they're not mammals because mammals adapt their environment and kind of create a steady state with their environment where they are able to exchange with their environment but still you know like live in harmony with it whereas humans are more like a virus where they move to environment and environment and then soak up all the resources and then move on yeah they go to a place they multiply they use it all up and when they can't use anything else because there's nothing left they go somewhere else right and repeat right and in that way like some of the ideas of 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 so many of the ideas of the matrix are so like critical of human nature in a way and Mm -hmm. and humans in the context of the matrix are the ones who are being oppressed and the ones who are fighting for the freedom but really that's that's again going back to the animatrix where i love the animatrix so much is because the reason that the humans are in that position was because of their own fault. Yeah, they the put place. themselves there. Yeah. yeah, and it's the idea, and it's the idea of like, where does the idea, where where is the rationale in enslaving an entire group, whether it's people or anything like that? It's like you know the, these, we made them secondary citizens right off the bat when right. they were created right. because we didn't believe that they were worthy of being right. equal with us. Yeah. And I mean, the, the whole reason that we created them was to make them second-class citizens. Right. And they fought back and they won. 
And they turned right around. And, and they turned right around and they started and they enslaved us. But what the, the difference was that they enslaved us without our knowledge. Right. And that, but that again would be a smart thing to do because. Yes. They understand. They were like, well, we were enslaved and we fought back because we realized being enslaved wasn't good. So <laughs> when we good. enslave them, let's do this thing where they don't know. They don't know. Yeah. 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 I really like the idea too. And I feel like it's really gr- glazed over. And this isn't so much philosophical or anything like that, but it the idea that they're grown human beings in yeah. Zion are grown. Like yeah. Tank has that great line where he says, like he's like, Oh, you've got like Neo says, Oh, no you've holes. got no plugs. Yeah. You've got nothing. And he's like, Oh no, I'm just like good old fashioned baby making right here, born straight in Zion. Mm-hmm. And I like I like the idea that like most human beings, anybody that's plugged into the Matrix, like Neo, Trinity, um, Morpheus, Cypher, these guys are, they were grown. Right. Like they don't have parents. Well, Morpheus has that line where he says, I've seen them Mm -hmm. fields where human beings are not born, they're grown. Right. And that's such a dark, like you get it. But I think that's really, that's really cool. Like we're, you know, in some movies you always think like, well, where's this person's parents? How come they never bring up their parents? Like in these world escalating moments, how come, like where's Steve Rogers' parents? Well, they do say in Steve Rogers' parents, both of his parents died. Yeah. Um, but it's like in this, they don't need it. It's like their parents don't exist and any, uh, familial bond they had in the matrix was not real. Well, yeah, they pretty much erase. I mean, they portray Neo in, in the very beginning as a loner already, but they erase everyone that he knows from the matrix. Like, and Morpheus describes that. He's like, I'm going to show these people something you don't want to see. I'm going to show them more without you Mm -hmm. because we're literally going to take you out of it. Mm-hmm. yeah there's so many interesting ideas even still i think a lot of the ideas that are presented in the matrix hold up really yeah well. well what's the book um he's got the book at the beginning uh that he takes like like the little <laughs> like the fucking hard drives out of, or the, the the floppy disks the hard disks oh i've never noticed what of, the actual book is he's got a book that's by um hmm, uh, i want to say it's to brand rent uh, it's called Simulations and another really weird S word that I can't pull up right now because Red Stripe, Paps Blue Ribbon. Uh, but essentially the movie... T- the, the, Turns the, out when you mix the blue pill and the red pill, it can... It starts getting really fucking yeah. confusing. Uh-huh. Uh, can you imagine if he took both of them and he's like, now what? Now what? This what? Um, well, the blue pill was a placebo and the rib, red pill was a tracer. I so guess that's true. If he took the matter. blue pill, they were just going to like knock him out yeah. <laughs> until they hit him over the head. Yeah. Um, but the book pretty much uh, discusses the idea of uh, perception of reality with simulation. Like if something simulates precisely what the reality, what the real version is, doesn't that make it real? Very much what Blade Runner sure. and Blade Runner 2049 more specifically deal with. Right. And then How the, real does real need to be for right. it to be real? And then the other one, uh, which I can't remember the word, but it's... Um, it deals with uh, the the idea of symbols um, being uh, misinterpreted as real. So, uh, advertising and marketing uses this kind of stuff, like uh, not even just like symbols such as like lettering and font style and stuff like that, but more like um, like a like a like a like a sneaker commercial from Nike shows you like, oh, you can run really good with these, but they present it in a way like you wouldn't be able to run without it. I see. Kind of like that, where it's like the symbiology. The, yeah. It, well, yeah. It's kind. Of, it's not symbiology. It's a, it's a. Uh, 
Simbright. I can't remember. I'm not, I'm not even going to try. It's oh, fuck. Thing. Harold Perrineau. Okay. That's. You got it? No, Harold Perrineau oh, is the guy that plays. That's Michael's name. That plays Michael okay, in Lost. Well, I got it. There you you go. got one at least. Shrink it out. Yeah, right, there you good, go. Good, good. But yeah, it's uh, that book very specifically deals with like what is real, what the perception of like how an idea is presented to us, whether it's institutionalized, whether capitalism has really like tried to make that a thing that we are supposed to as human beings operating in the world and in society, we're supposed to think that that's important. Like money. Again, money is not a real thing, but we are led to believe that this is a very important thing because you need it. To be able to live. It comes back to the same thing I've been saying over and over again. These systems of control change our perception of reality. And the first Matrix in particular is very, very much about control. There's like, again, there's a reason why the I mean, agents all, are like all the of FBI. the Matrix is He's, about control. Uh, Neo's got, we didn't even talk about his boss. When he right. goes and talks to his boss and his boss is, uh, they hired a guy that looks exactly like Hugo Weaving yeah. to be this guy that's like, you seem to think like the rules don't apply to you. He explains like the entire yeah, yeah. movie yeah. to him. And he's just well, like, he you're going to have to make a decision. He works in a cubicle, you know, he is very much in the system as much as you could possibly I love show, to I like, when we see him in the cubicle, his computer's not on. He's not doing anything. He's just kind of staring down and then the FedEx guy shows up with a package. Yeah. Like Thomas Anderson. He's like, yeah, that's me. Which, by the way, um, did you see that the banana phones that they used in the... Mm, they're, mm, making, they're remaking mm. those? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'd want one if I was a uh, sucker. Yeah. But I'm not. Yeah, so I'm not no. going to get one. They yeah. look cool, they're but cheap. I'm not getting they're, one. They're cheap enough sure, to like I'm almost not gonna like... I'm use it. They're cheap enough that it's almost like, do I want to just have that? Right. That's like the, the, the thing that you can plug. Like It's like an old style like home telephone. You press the button and the bottom shoots out. Yeah, that's fine. That no, no I'm saying like it's like the thing where it's like you can just get like an old style telephone like on a payphone that was originally hooked up oh, to a dialer. Yeah, yeah, but you yeah. can plug it into your iPhone yeah. and you can talk on that. I'm like, like, what the fuck are you? Yeah, I don't know that looks for. fucking cool. I want it. I'm not going to buy it because no. I would, the, the amount of guilt in me when I buy that. No, but this, in this case, those, I just distinctly remember thinking those phones looked so cool when they're like, and they look great. It. Oh, uh, I love, he dumps it out of the FedEx thing. And as soon as it's in his hand, it rings. Uh-huh. And there's that great cut uh-huh. where he's just like, what the? Uh. Right. And it clicks on out. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, right. The Matrix is very good. I was gonna say closing thoughts. The Matrix is very good. The Matrix is very. Good. The Matrix Reloaded I, is very underrated. I, you know, like being obsessed with it as a thirteen-year-old. It's the kind of thing that you can look back on and be like, you know, was I so obsessed with that? You know, because I was thirteen and I didn't really know any better. Like, does this hold up as well? And then, like, going back and really thinking about it critically, I think it is something that holds up in a lot of ways. Totally. In modern times. Yeah, I'm looking at my notes here to make sure I didn't do have some notes. forget anything. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of notes as well that I threw in my phone. It's in the other let's room. Let's see. Groundbreaking action and aesthetic. Yeah, yeah it really does. Totalitarian balonies. Yeah, we talked about that. Yeah, we talked about a lot of totalitarian. Cyberpunk. You've got face-off. Cyberpunk is brought to life. Face-off. What about face-off? Uh, it's a really great movie starring yeah, Nick Cage. Uh, John Cage and Nicholas Travolta, uh-huh. which uh, I think I'm getting that right. Yep. And um, every every film starts with Neo asleep. I got that. Yep. Uh, there was I had the thing here, which I don't think we really need to touch on too much beyond. Have you ever heard the Agent Smith theory that he's the one? 
No. With the cuz he like think about his role in like the second two films where he really is the one that brings down the matrix. He's the one that True. destroys it and True. like wants to like stop it and everything. It's we, interesting. We really, it's, it's more of an interesting than a factual like uh conversation. We didn't really even touch on the like Christian man, uh, metaphors that are present in the revolutions and there's it's like, not that there's like 10 other podcasts that talk about yeah, that I was true. really interested in talking about the different philosophies that were in there just because philosophy gets me hard yeah I can see that yeah I can see that uh, the ideas presented are so fantastic and true it falls into almost eye rolling but it's still great Great. Yeah. I'm glad we talked. Yeah, yeah, we were able to discuss we that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the shot of the battery I have underlined when he explains the battery. I really love that. Oh, I think, yeah. I think about that every time I go shopping for batteries. Yeah. I think about Morpheus. Which Turns thing. human beings. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss is the OG fem- feminine badass. She sure is. Which, yeah, in 1999, that? like she's kicking ass in there. Sounds like we hit everything. Yeah. Uh, and uh, amazing dedication to these films by Keanu Reeves, which I think we briefly touched on with... The fact, like, how much they all put themselves into it. Even just not Keanu Reeves, just, like, Hugo Weaving, Lawrence Fishburne, Carrie Ann Moss. These people really learned how to do all of these things and, like, built their bodies into a way that they could express what the Wachowskis were trying to do. Yeah. And Keanu eventually would take that on with, like, John Wick. You see him in yeah, John Wick see, and stuff, and yeah. he's, like... Uh, he's doing that stuff. He goes around and he, like, trains himself to be able to do all of these things accurately not just to somebody who's watching it who likes like the pow pals but people who are you know like military trained and understand um how a how how you can be tactical in a military operation when you're going in and trying to take out people with limited resources right he's very very good at that and he's yeah. gotten like professional training from people for that so it's keanu reeves is just have you listened to me and Stamper's uh, Lake House and Speed thing. Yes, I have. Keanu Reeves is just like, what a beautiful little boy. Yeah. If there was any person like that they, if like I won some kind of uh, sweepstakes or something where they said like, you can meet any person of any type of fame that you want. It doesn't have to be an actor. It could be like anything. Right. I would love to fucking eat some pizza with Keanu Reeves, if his diet seen, allows him. Have you seen, um, there's a clip where Keanu is on Japanese television and he's he's uh-huh. being interviewed about John Wick. And he's talking about, um, I don't recall the name of this guy, but like this this um, Japanese like stunt master mm-hmm. who he like really respects and stuff like that. And they're talking about like the stunts of John Wick and like how he does his own stunts, but how he like really looks up to this one guy who's like a, a legendary stunt master and the show brings that guy out. Oh fuck. And Keanu just like, just like melts. I he bet he does. Becomes like, <sighs> it's dude, you got to look it up. It's so good. What a sweet, like he's the closest to like how I feel about dogs as a human being. Can Pretty get. much. I'm just like, yeah. I see him and I'm just like, I want to pet you. I trust you immediately. Like, you're yeah. not going to do anything to hurt me. I yeah. got you. Yeah, you're you're just, you're there for me to, like, really like, and you love me. And, you know, you can talk about, like, you mentioned a long time ago at this point, but earlier in the show, like, how you can be critical of the acting. But, like, something about the acting in The Matrix, like, it's, it, it, it's, works. it just works yeah. perfectly. Yeah, totally. Like, not, at no point I'm like, this is, you know... 
overacting yeah. or overdramatic. <laughs> there is one thing that I noticed last night watching The Matrix. It's Carrie Ann Moss, she's talking to Cypher on the phone while he's unplugging everybody, which is a great scene. Yeah. Where he like jumps on top of Morpheus and he's like, uh-huh. we believed everything that this guy was going to do. Joe Pantaleano is fucking amazing in this movie. Yeah, he's he, so good. The way he's like, like, you never brought me dinner. <laughs> Everybody is fucking weird. And it's fun, too, because, like, Carrie Ann Moss and Joe uh, Pantagliano had uh, history because they were in Memento together. Right. And I remember it was one or the other recommended the other after they had been cast. I don't remember which one it was. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine it was probably Carrie Ann Moss was <clears throat> brought in and she recommended Joe. But actually, now that I think about it, it was 1999 and it was probably the man was cast and recommended the woman. Maybe. Either way. But he's uh, he's so fucking good in the movie. And I don't want to harp on it too long. Like, if you've seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He owns every scene that he's in. Yes. But Carrie Ann Moss has this line where she's just like, God damn it, Cypher. Yeah. Where it's like, oh. That's the thing. A lot of the acting is like a little on the wooden over dramatic side. But it all just works. It does. I mean, even like uh, Keanu's like two big lines from the movie like, Whoa. Yeah. And <laughs> I know Kung Fu. Yeah. Which yes. the I know Kung Fu thing doesn't really work in retrospective where you're like, didn't you just spend 10 hours learning a bunch of shit? Yeah. And that's the one that you're, maybe it's, he just happened to walk up when he learned Kung Fu and yeah, he's yeah. just like, I know Kung Fu. Plus a bunch of other things that I don't have time to go into. Yeah. yeah. Because I learned one thing every four seconds. But Morpheus's line for 10 is, hours. Morpheus's line is great there too. Where he just oh, says, show and me. the cut though, cause he's got like his hand on his chin and he goes, he just kind of leans forward and goes, show me. It's so and good. And then we get a nice fade to white, it's which great. you never get in movies. I love fade to whites. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Uh, all right. I think we this could, is like, we could talk about the matrix all day. We haven't even, day. I haven't even touched on the, the, the enter the matrix or, or the path of Neo. <sighs> Are we talking about a sequel games. episode, maybe? Maybe. Maybe. Maybe we could maybe go, if we started maybe we could like focus a, more on Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions. Maybe if we had like a show on Story Screen Presents that pretty much talked about video games. Nah, you know? I don't like know. maybe we could talk if, about like the story structure in video games if, and especially video games maybe that like uh, have to do with movies that have been released that we're into and we can yeah. kind of talk about those and stuff. Seems like it'd be a little hard to schedule out. Yeah, it sounds like a pipe dream to well, me. Well, because it's like, you know, there, it takes a long time to play a video game. I mean, yeah. What do you think? Like maybe six months would be enough time to be able to play a video game and then get together <sighs> yeah. and talk about it? You six would months think so. sound good? You would think so. Right? You would I think would. So. I would think so. You would. But, you know, some the, there's the, it's a strange universe out there. <laughs> I did this to Robbie on RoboCop 2 good, as well. Good. good. <laughs> It all comes around. Yeah, it's perfect. coming together. I'm going to make you guys do it. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for talking to me about The Matrix. Thank you for having me. It's been a long time coming. I'm really happy. This felt like a, like an orgasm that cathartic. was waiting to come. Cathartic. From, yeah. Oh, cathartic. I guess that's the more mature We've been edging on this one for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you scratch your heart. Yeah. Uh, so, guys... Uh, Thank you again, listeners, for uh, checking us out. Please follow us on Instagram at story underscore screen underscore beacon. You can see like we share a bunch of fun news over there, and uh, we're going to be having some sweet steaks coming up soon. Uh, make sure you check us out at storyscreenbeacon.com, where you can find all of our other podcasts, plus articles and reviews written by everybody in the Story Screen family. Tons of really fun stuff in there. And uh, if you're listening to us on iTunes, please, please, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, it helps. It helps. It's uh, it's really, really good for us to be able to get 
uh, some of those five-star reviews or even some of those one-star reviews. I find those a lot of fun. You don't have to write an essay either. You can kind of just like five stars, cool beans, good. That yeah. works. Jack has a hot stuff. surfer bod and his brother Stop. is a person that I want to fuck. You can, oh you can put that on there because iTunes doesn't have like any like content control. Like you can say whatever you want. Like I really want to fuck Jack's brother. You could, you could put that right on this there. This is how we're going to get a one star review. That you could put that right on there. And that's fine. Me. You could do one star and you could say, I don't want to fuck Jack's brother. And then we can start a conversation yeah. about why some people want to and why some people don't. I'm about to go do that right now. And yeah. I have a very good reason. Jack's just upset because he's part of like the third party that's not allowed to even consider fucking his brother. That's the whole thing. He's upset because he's not part of the conversation. Okay. Pull the plug. Okay. We're doing that. We're going to unplug? Just like this. Do you want to unplug like uh, no, unceremoniously? On the, back of my, on the back of my neck. Okay. <laughs> All right. That's where uh, this is coming from, I think. I think he's a little upset that the post didn't get nominated for a bunch of stuff because it's like, dude, it's subpar Spielberg. Like, come on, man. They're not going to... They judge him on a different angle, you know? It's like he come, like the post is very well made. It's a good movie. But it's just like, dude, you're the guy that made Saving Private Ryan. They're judging you on a different scale, you know? Like, mm-hmm. when, that's the like, same thing. Like, if anybody had made the Phantom, th- had made Phantom Thread... Besides P.T. Anderson, that would have gotten way more fucking play at the Academy Awards specifically. But because it's P.T. Anderson, they judge him on a higher thing. We're like, you're the guy that made There Will Be Blood and The Master. Right. And Phantom Thread, I think, is on the level with those movies. I think it's it's very, very good. Exactly. And so they're like, you didn't put that kind of cinematic energy that you have with There Will Be Blood in there. So we judge it on a different scale. I really like Phantom Thread. Loved it. Yeah. It would have made my top 17 if I'd seen it uh, before I made my list. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I probably would have knocked off... Uh, probably that's, Ingrid that's Goes West, here. honestly. That's, that's yeah. not what we're here for. Yeah, no.